Welcome to Scum, Beer and Villainy, the podcast about beer, geekery and everything in between. I'm your host, Marcel Harper. I'm the creator of the Beginner Brewer website and I've been brewing beer for more than a decade. As ever, I'm joined by my fellow host and beer nerd, Matt Bezeling. What people don't appreciate about Matt is that he's always frank and earnest with women. In New York, he's frank, and in Chicago, he's earnest. <laughs> hi, man. Yeah. Hi, hi, Marcel. How are you doing? <laughs> Very well, thank you. And yourself? I'm fine, thank you. What, one day, I just want you to have that intro be, um, Matt is covered in bees. <laughs> bees? <laughs> bees. Why the Matt, hell would that happen? Matt, Matt, Matt has millions of bees all over him. <laughs> That's Is that something you aspire to, Matt? No, no, it's something I'm terrified of. Oh. So, I mean, that, you know, you joke about the things that worry you the most. So, oh, I thought you might be you know, an uh, aspiring beekeeper. No, no, good grief. No, I can't even watch that shit on YouTube. That's terrifying to me. Oh, I'm actually thinking of starting a, an apiary. Uh, that's cool. I mean... <laughs> it's good for the environment. <laughs> you know, we need bees. No, no, no. I'm not saying it's not a, a noble cause. Without bees, we're um, all screwed. But I'm I'm just not sure whether you should be keeping bees, you know, in your refrigerator box that you stay in under the N1 highway. Right, right. A very specific reference, which we'll analyze later. <laughs> uh, so other than your dire right. fear of bees, Matt, mm. uh, how are you keeping? I'm fine. I'm sick at the moment, mm. sadly. But yeah. uh, but besides that, I'm, you know, I'm white picket fences, man. Life is life is a glorious journey into the heart of the nearest sun. Indeed, I feel much the same. Uh, you know, every every day of my life is like a day on the farm. <laughs> Every paycheck of fortune and every meal of feast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the funny farm, I assume. Oh, oh, yes, absolutely. I've never left the funny farm, really. No, I'm no, a permanent no. resident. Yeah, one of the laborers. So this is episode 18, um, and welcome to it, dear listener and loyal follower. Um, hi, Bob. They're all the way hi, there Bob. from Saskatchewan in, uh, I think, Canada. Mm. Um, Saskatchewan is in Canada. That's very. It good, is. Yeah. yeah, it's apparently very nice there. I need to go there one day. Isn't it? Isn't it very farmy? Lots of like cornfields. Isn't it? Uh, it's very flat, about? I think, and there's some yeah. foresty bits and bears. Um, I'm afraid. I must admit, I'm a bit afraid of bears. That's a creature which I feel I might come second in a stand-up fight against. You know. So, so you're fine with bees, though. Bees are good. You're fine with bees. Bees are good. No bears. Bears, not so much. I, th- I feel like a bear is going to get me one day. In fact, I've had some bad about dreams a, about bears. What about a <laughs> what about a bear covered in bees? Well, that just would be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, presumably, if the bear is covered in bees, he's got other things to worry about than me. Well, may- maybe they're his friends. Maybe they're his armor. It could be. I think you have some maybe. very strange dreams, Matt, and I think you should see a therapist. Uh, not, not the first time you've told me that, myself. <laughs> What, uh, what's on the menu for today, Marcel? So today we have a very special episode. Um, we have often skirted around the issue of talking about our very favorite movies of all time. And that has caused great consternation for you mostly because you're a wimp. And, yes. um, but I agree that it is a difficult one. And I think I've, I've sort of figured out why that's a difficult question for people such as you and I. We are movie nerds and uh, movie geeks. So we are, I think we can agree, cinemaphiles. We have strong opinions about cinema, and we we are nerds about it. So we probably nerd out about things like you know who is the key grip on our favorite movie, yes. or the stunt coordinator, or is it a one camera or a two camera movie, and so on. Um, 
and and if you are that kind of person and you're probably listening to this you are this kind of person someone asking you what are your favorite movies of all time is a very difficult thing to answer because firstly it references your knowledge of cinema and i think that if you are a cinephile you are you're torn between telling someone the movies you like which are also considered great oeuvres of cinema you know versus movies you kind of secretly like watching even though other people think it's shit um and so today we're going more into the second part of that, um, which which relieves us of the anxiety of not having to say things like, well, you know, of course I like Citizen Kane. You know, that was a groundbreaking movie or whatever. Um, whatever's seen as the groundbreaking piece of cinema or some Fellini uh, uh, weird movie or something like that. Yeah. Or like, yeah, Fritz Lang's Metropolis from 1924. Which is a great movie, but again, not necessarily something you watch regularly. It's something you have watched yeah. because you are a cinemaphile and it's sort of required exactly. watching. Um, it's like saying you like horror fiction, but you've never read Stephen King. Um, yeah. It's also a bit wanky to say it. You know, It's, it's like, a bit wanky. It's like, why would that be your favorite film of all time? Mm. You know, there's only been a hundred years of cinema since then. And I, I well, truly, yeah. And I also believe that some movies like Citizen Kane, which are lauded as the best movie ever made, are just not that good. When compared yeah, against yeah, modern sure. cinema, I mean, it just isn't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We we have we have moved on a little bit. Mm. But since, you see, if you, you see know, if you say that in the in your introductory film class at NYU, your professor is probably going to chase you out the room. Yeah, you'll probably be just be shot immediately. Immediately, yeah, yeah. Um, so so we we've skipped over that whole thing rather cunningly. I <laughs> got a cunning plan. If if you do say so yourself, <laughs> since this is your entire yeah, I have a cutting plan, my lord. Um, and the the plan is that we are rather going to be discussing our favorite. It's not a draft. It's not a, a draft, um, but it is a discussion Thank of God. our favorite and as many as we have time for, really. But I mean, it's probably going to start at the one you most favor. Um, but it, we're going to talk about our most favorite repeatable movies. So what I mean by that is it's. I mean, of course, nowadays it's difficult to imagine a, a time before, um, you know, streaming movie services. But there was a time back, you know, in the prehistory of a uh, movie. Yeah. When, in the before four days. Yes. You know, in the long, long ago, uh, kids, that, uh, you know, you had maybe like a subscription to a satellite service. And so you had to watch the movie when it was on and you couldn't record it. You couldn't save it for later. And so, so what, it was on and then it was off. Exactly. And yeah. that was your opportunity. Exactly. And you may miss it. I mean, they'll, they'll repeat it, of course. But now, the, why I'm mentioning this is it, it made me think of a, a principle to use in picking my movies is that there, there sometimes would, would be times when you would walk into the your TV room and a movie would already be playing, maybe for 20 minutes, maybe for half an hour, maybe for two hours. Um, yeah. But the movie is the kind of movie you would sit down and start watching anyway, even if it's yeah, not from the beginning. Yeah, even if it's like the last five minutes, you'll watch that. You would be sucked into the movie again. You would like you'll being be like, part of it. There's no way I can't watch this. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It, and, and and there's a there's a secondary aspect to that mm. because it's not just that you would do that once. It's that you would do that any time mm. this movie is on. Like literally the next week, you would probably get sucked into it again. You'd be like, oh, holy shit, this is on. Let me watch that. Especially if you did watch the last 30 minutes and now you get to watch the first 30 minutes, then you would definitely do it. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. So it's 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 rewatchability. It's rewatchability. Okay. It's it's a for me the other criteria I used, and I mean you can tell me what yours were, Matt. But for me, it was just a, those movies which are comfort food. You know, it's like 
Yeah. And I just feel like a really nice movie, which makes me feel comfortable yeah. and I love it. And I love the little scenes and I can anticipate the next scene with joy. That's the sort of yeah. movie we're talking about here. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. It's those. It's it's like an album where you know which track is next, and you're like, oh god, that's a that's a banger. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna listen to this song so I can hear the next song. Absolutely. You know what's coming up. It's just a yeah. That my criteria was very much like I know if I sit down on the couch in the very rare times when I'm able to do this, and flip over onto a channel and I see one of these films. Mm that I will not be able to flip the channel again. 100%. And, I mean, the other part of it, for me at least, it might not be for you, Matt, is that a lot of these movies, which I'll be discussing today, their lines, the the nice little scenes, have become part of my vocabulary with my loved uh, my loved ones, you know, and my friends. It's, it's little yeah. lines of quotes which I often use in my daily conversations, and it's little shared moments which, which we have together where yeah. we use those lines in ways Absolutely. which only we would know. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. they've become part of your vocab, absolutely. 100%. So that is the groundwork, ladies and gentlemen. And we're going to start with that. And of course, we're going to have beer. This is a beer podcast, after all. Every now and again, we remember that it is. And so we're going to have some <laughs> beers. And we normally have this thing where we start with a intro beer. Intro That was lovely. One of your best yet. Did we have to? Do we have to clear that? Do, do we have to get clearance rights to use that? Don't worry, I own the rights to that one. Uh, you fine. own the rights to the eighteen. That's great. Well, yeah, that's why I don't have to work anymore. <laughs> um, is that well? Obviously, you don't have to work, but you're certainly not it, getting a lot uh, of visuals. So the year was 1984. <laughs> we played some dodgy diner in LA. I was scribbling a plot on the back of an envelope, and you know the rest yeah. is history. Yeah, no, the rest is history. Absolutely. So, uh, uh, Matt, what is our intro beer for the day? Uh, we are drinking uh, Tolokazi Lager. Tolokazi, I'll have you know. Tolok- oh, that's right, Tolokazi. I also do that all what, the time. What is that? Like, is, what's that, a spoonerism? Is that, is that, yes. What is it when you switch letters I around? think it's a spoonerism. Tol- you yeah, totally spoon tol- that one. Tolokazi Lager, which I've, I've yeah. never had before. So Tolokazi uh, Lager. Now, Tolokazi is the brand um, which is started by a very famous brewer in South Africa. Um, and that is Apiwe. And Apiwe is one of our um, female brewers in South Africa, one of the most uh, experienced and lauded uh, brewers in the country. And she is, anyone who's in craft beer knows Apiwe. She does a lot of education in, in brewing. Um, I actually went through some of her training as well, which is why I'm a sensory analyst now, and she helped me do that. So she's a great brewer, um, just a fantastic person also to get to know. And this is her beer brand. So um, Tolokazi, I think she's also recently um, started exporting these beers, um, which is great. Yeah. So uh, pretty cool pedigree behind it. What do you think, yeah. Matt, of the labeling? And I, I actually, I was just thinking, I actually quite like it. it. It's it's a little, and I don't say this, you know, to be critical of it, but it's actually got quite a, a mainstream beer feel. It's not a, mm. a, a super craft design. It seems like something that you would get on a mainstream mass-produced beer. Yeah. Um, it's got a nice particular set of design elements that it reuses over and over. Um, it's, a, it's a clean design. Uh, it looks very professional. It's well-printed. Um, it's in a can. I don't know if we said that. Um, mm. And the, the can is very clean and neat. Um, yeah, I, actually, I, I like it. It's not exciting. 
and there's not a lot of beer geekery going on. Yeah. But other than that, it's a it's a nice label. It's a clean label. Nice it label. Kind of does the job up front, you know. Some geometric uh, patterns which I always favour, and uh, a nice little story uh, in terms of the homage it pays to female brewers in Africa. Um, that it it's got all locally sourced ingredients. Um, it uses African Queen hops, which is a yeah. strain of hops uh, grown down in George in near Neisner, and really very very much a local of all beer again. It's something we've discussed in past podcasts when we've discussed Soul Barrel breweries. We are also very known for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's yeah. I've, I very much like it. I think they've used very good use of the space. It's not it's not all squashed up, but at the same time they've given it a lot of space yeah. it's readable font um no squashing yeah. no, it's very important not to have squash yeah very yeah. annoying when you can't read the thing that's on the can true so what do you think of the beer man um so let's let, can i pour some and drink some give us and some foley there give us some of that yeah. sweet sweet foley action not your usual standard i have to say left no, improve in future i'm sorry i'm not i'm not feeling well <laughs> you're off your game man <laughs> i'm off my game um, a very light beer. It's a very light lager. Mm. Um, although it actually settles in a little bit darker. There's some reasonable carbonation, a nice head. Yeah, good stuff. It's it's sort of, I would say, uh, between straw and golden color. Yeah, um, yeah. But very clear. You can read through it. It's nice lacing. Yeah. Good foamy head. Good carbonation. Yeah, it, it, looks like a, it, it looks like a promising lager. Yep. And aroma-wise... I'm getting that crisp lager aroma, right? Very faint, light malt aroma with a little bit of hoppiness, um, but very yep, crisp. Yep. Mm. Yes, and uh, yeah, I can actually I can smell that it promises to be slightly more hoppy mm. than malty. Yeah. That's nice. Which is what you kind of want in lager, really. That's that's what I am for. So, what do you think, Matt? What's your initial taste impressions of Tolakazi Lager? Super crisp. Yeah. It finishes very nice and dry mm. without being astringent. It, it actually isn't as bitter as I expected it to be. Mm, it's slightly less bitter, yeah. Yeah, there's almost a limit to sweetness to it, actually. But it's it's quite pleasant. It's well blended. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice feel. It is dry, but not super dry. So there is some residual malty flavors left on your tongue after after having it. But very well balanced. It's a super balanced beer. Beautifully balanced, yeah. Very drinkable, very sessionable. This is a, mm. I mean, you know, lagers by their nature are, should be yeah. you know, sessionable in some way. Mm. Um, I mean, it has touches a, of slight sweetness to it for me, but not in a bad way. It, it just balances yeah. out everything very, very neatly. I mean, this is almost like a Kolsch style lager. Not that that's a real thing. But your Kolsch beers and those sort of um, beers from Germany, which are super balanced, they, they, the main aim of those beers is to balance everything absolutely. Um, so this, this is reminiscent of that kind of style of German uh, beer, whereas your, your sort of, let's say your Czech lagers and your Pilsners are much more hop forward, for instance, and much drier in their yeah. finish. Yeah. Um, where this is far more balanced. It's so balanced, in fact, that it, it in some ways is a testament, obviously, to the brewer's skill. Which, which it's total total harmony total total harmony and total there's control no, over your ingredients nothing that stand, absolutely there's almost nothing that stands out as as being obnoxious yeah you know it's it's all beautifully put together it really is and i think i mean in some ways your lagers and your lighter beers are the beer equivalent of the 
you know, the omelette or the roast chicken, which chefs are famous for testing each other yeah. with, you know. So there's there's always that story that, you know, a lot of the, the Michelin star restaurants, if you audition to be a chef there, they ask you to cook them an omelette or do a yeah. roast, roast chicken because those are very exactly. difficult things to get right um, because there's nothing to hide behind. Yeah. Yeah, they're very simple, mm. such simple elements that if you can make that delicious, you must be able to make anything delicious. Yeah, and I think this is one of those. I think this is a, a bit of a showcase of skill. Great, great little beer. Wow. It's an astonishing lager. This is absolutely delicious. Yeah, I would. I mean, my top three SA craft lagers probably would be SA Pills, the old, I don't think they make it anymore, but it used to be the Keller Pills from uh, Jack Black and this one, Tarakazi Lager yeah. for sure. I used to really, before it got bought out, I used to really like the Stellenbrau Craven. Right, you used to like that, yeah. I used to absolutely, and this is absolutely better than that. Mm, mm, so good. So well done there, Tulakazi. Uh, it's, yeah, what a hell of a beer. I actually want to, I'm going to save a little bit in my glass for my for our for our first movie discussion. Yeah, me too. Which, uh, let's give that a shot, shall we? Shall we kick it off? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, so, ready. I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready, man. So, Matt, what is your first repeatable movie? Okay, uh, so so I'm going to start off. I'm going to start off controversial because I'm okay. not going to pick one movie. Oh, no. Okay? Not again. I'm, I'm, already, I'm already breaking the rules. You're Look already breaking the rules, breaking. man. Are you going to have a whole series of movies now? I don't even give a shit. Um, I'm going to put these three together because these three movies mm. are my ultimate rewatchable movies that I am literally incapable of turning off no matter at which point in the movie it is, whether I just seen it the previous day, no, you know, it's just mm. they are they are my kryptonite. They might they're like crack. Okay, That's and it's and it, maybe praise. It's a, Brookhe- uh, it's a Brookheimer trilogy, right? It's a Brookheimer trilogy, not because it's a trilogy because they're connected, but because Brookheimer is obviously the the crack dealer of Hollywood. <laughs> but I'm gonna choose The Rock. Right. Connie. Okay. And Armageddon. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Those three all together, like people who know me know that I'll like I'll go to people's houses for dinner or parties, and if one of these films just happened to be on, mm. then I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Then dinner or this party is off, and watching The Rock is on. <laughs> That's excellent. I mean, The Rock and Armageddon are on my list. I didn't get Con Air, but uh, The Rock definitely. The Rock is high on my list. The, the Rock is impossible, impossible not to watch, mm. regardless of where you come into it. It is yeah. the quintessential like action film of the 90s. Mm. It is brilliant. And it's got Sean Connery in it, which makes any movie yeah. instantly 50% better. Absolutely. Playing a bastardized James Bond. I love mm. it. I love it. It's brilliant. I mean, it's a lovely movie, yeah. I love that movie. I mean, it it's a, a study. I don't know how he does it, though, but he makes those movies super addictive to watch. Yeah. And you know what? It's also, in its way, The Rock is not your conventional action movie. Mm. It's got a very, very, very sympathetic sympathetic antagonist. Um, That's true. You you're know, right. Ed Harris with, is very with, sympathetic in that movie. You know, you kind of halfway through, you're like, shit. Mm. I, 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 don't, I don't hate him. Yeah. I don't hate him. And, and in the final act, he does prove himself to still be honorable. He still that's, that's makes exactly the right it. choice. He's like, we are not going to murder these people mm. just for our principles, you know? And, um, yeah, I, so The Rock is absolutely phenomenal. 
Connie, another Nick Cage film. Mm. Um, you know, it's just fun from wall to wall. It's a crazy, ludicrous, bonkers ludicrous movie, fun. isn't it? Yeah. It's just, it's almost stupid. Yeah. You know, you've got you've got John Malkovich who's just chewing up the scenery every single time he's in front Malkovich, of Malkovich, it's got some crazy stuff. Like, I mean, Vin Rames whipping people. Yeah, like a, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just crazy shit. Dude, it's got it's got rape featuring quite heavily as one of the as one of the kind of antagonist backstories. Yeah, and and and, it, and it's kind of like he gets his comeuppance, but for a long time you're like, oh wow, this guy's gonna rape everybody. You know, True. it's it's got it's got Steve Buscemi playing a very very sympathetic serial killer. Yeah, you know, it's, there's some weird it's, shit happening in that movie, man. It's such weird weird shit. It's it's unbelievable. And Armageddon as well. I mean, Armageddon for me of the trio is probably the silliest of them. It's just a dumb movie from start to finish, but it works, you know? It, it does work. And I think out of the three... Uh, and it's got Liv Tyler in it, which immediately makes it a 25% better movie. Yeah, and Ben Affleck, which makes it 50% better. Yeah. Um, you know, I think out of those three, out of The Rock and Con Air and Armageddon, mm. Armageddon, even though it's the stupidest, yeah. is it's played the straightest. Oh, no, it's, they, it's straight they, from beginning to end. I mean, they, they, they you totally like, believe that they think... We are going to save the world, guys. Yeah. This is what we're going to yeah. do. And not it's only that... that we save the world. Not only that, but you, you totally believe that it's a good idea to send oil drillers to space. <laughs> yes. Like they know yeah, anything like, about oh, that. Of course they'll do a better job than astronauts. And, mm. it's, and you buy into it. You buy into this entire nightmarish yeah. vision of the future. And Steve Buscemi is the, in that one too, I believe, yeah. He is, he, and he goes crazy. He's a nutter. He goes crazy in that. He's a complete, yeah, he's insane. He gets space space madness, mm. which apparently is a thing. Yeah. Um, it's it's so good, dude. Peter Stormare plays this kind of Russian uh, he's always good uh, at that. Co- cosmonaut. Also a little bit nuts. In, he's completely off the, off the reservation. He's out of his mind. Mm. You know? But everyone plays it so straight. They're like, oh, this insane cosmonaut. I'm sure he'll be fine. We won't worry about it. <laughs> No, it's a lovely. It's a, again, as you say, compelling viewing. Of the three, The Rock definitely for me is the favorite. It's the best piece of cinema. Yeah, it's astounding um, cinema in many ways. It's got elements of fucking Indiana Jones. You know, they're messing around in underground, you know, rail carts and stuff. <laughs> it makes no sense. No sense. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But it's got, and so it's got my, Michael my, Bean. Michael Bean is, uh, although he doesn't last very long in the movie, he's a good good no. part of that. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, uh, you could probably look at. I mean, obviously Michael Bay directed two of them. He directed uh, The Rock and, and Armageddon, mm. and he he's also renowned as being this, you know, like the anti autier Yeah. Like he he could he couldn't make a great film if his family were at gunpoint. You know. <laughs> Now, there's various conspiracy and, theories online about, like, he's actually the greatest director, but he's just doing this as an ironic, <laughs> ironic criticism of Hollywood. I would, I would, I would buy into that theory. I really would. Mm. I really would. So, so t- what's your number one? Even though I've given you three, you, you're only allowed to give me one. Oh, thanks a lot for that. Um, well, The Rock definitely is off the list now. I was going to say, I've wiped two off your list. I guess if I had to... I mean, I've got lots because I am notorious for rewatching movies uh, up into an inch of their lives. But um, I would say, and this is interesting, so if I had to pick one which is also, I cannot not watch it. It has an actor in common uh, of one of, uh, in one of yours uh, as well. 
And that would be Hunt for Red October. Ah, yeah. uh, Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Yeah, Hunt for Red October. No, submarine movie. Yeah. I love submarine movies in general. I find them very compelling. But yeah. Hunt for Red October is sort of, for me, the ultimate submarine movie, Hollywood style, has to be said. But again, I can watch that thing if there's five minutes left. I can watch it halfway through. Yeah. It's a it's it's a fantastic movie in terms of its story structure. It hardly has a dull moment. It's got so many absolutely fantastic um, character actors. You know, it's it's got yeah. you know Scott Glenn who who's the submarine commander on the American side, which is so good. It's got Sam Neill who does an excellent job of his role. It's got pre weird Alec Baldwin. What do you mean pre-weird? <laughs> well, he's always been weird. He's Alec Baldwin's always been weird. Well, maybe I'm not. I mean, I like Alec Baldwin. Let me say this. I, I mean, love Alec Baldwin. He's phenomenal. It's Alec Baldwin when he was still believable as an action figure. Let's put it that way. Ah, yes, right? yes. Okay, fair enough. Fair um, enough. Okay. And, and, and a sort of a heartthrob type actor, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's got prime Connery. I mean, he is just so good in that. I, don't, I, think, yeah. I suspect it's very close to The Rock. He looks similar. So I wouldn't be surprised if The Rock and Hunt for October are somewhat similar in, I mean, or contemporaneous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's got James Earl Jones, right? It's got Tim Curry. It's got Tim Curry playing the inside. Oh, and he's such a good Russian role. officer. He's so good. I mean, he's Tim so Curry good. is the doctor, and he is so good at, at being this obsequious, like, he yeah. just believes everything Sean Curry tells him throughout the movie. Um, no matter how <laughs> implausible, <it is. laughs> yeah, how absolutely ludicrous this thing is. It's so funny. I mean, there's funny moments. There's there's tense moments. There's I mean, it's just in general, a hell of a ride. I mean, what a movie! I, mu- I must say that I'm always happy when I catch Hunt for Red October in time to see the the part in the movie where it changes over from them speaking oh, Russian, such a good scene, to where they start speaking English in yeah. Russian accents. Isn't it's that just, isn't that one of the best scenes of of language transition you've ever seen? It's it's so amazing. Yeah, and even even better than that is that Sean Connery obviously at some point said, "I'm not fucking doing this." You know, he was like, "I'm not putting on a Russian accent. Mm. I'm gonna be I'm gonna have this brogue the whole way through this film, and if you don't like it, fuck you." Yeah, and I mean, it's it's John Milius was involved as well, which makes it in it of itself. Did he, did he write it? Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if he wrote it. I think he did. Maybe he was one of the writers. Um, McTiernan was the guy who directed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was and a million. McTiernan has a, a big prestige. And Stellan Skarsgård uh, is the totally out of control Captain Tupolev. That's right. Right. Jeez, he must have been young. Who, he must who, have been so young. Who, who, who actually creates a new way of smoking? It's aggressive smoking in that movie. <laughs> Like he, like as he, he, he kind of sucks in the nicotine and he's like the scars of the cigarette. Like, you know, I'm going to kill a friend, the silly. Yeah. The, the 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 cinematography on Hunt for Red October was done by Jan de Bont, who went on to do Speed. I don't know if wow. you, you know the okay. bomb on the bus. Yeah. So obviously, he used to work in in enclosed spaces. Interesting, eh? So I didn't know that. Well, I mean, yeah, and the other yeah. guy is Fred Thompson, of course. Who? who yes. It was such a such a cool, immediately recognizable actor, and he got he's got some of these cool little southern lines, you know, like you know, <laughs> Russians don't take a dump without a plan, son, you know, <laughs> shit like that. It's lovely. Uh, and I mean, one that, quote a, which which pick. my what my better off and I still use. Well, we have, we have two quotes from this movie. 
which which we use all the time in our lives. And the one is is what Sam Thompson says is that this thing is going to get out of control. It's going to get out of control. We're going to be really lucky to live through it. Um, you know, as he as he summates the shitstorm. And the other one, of you, course, is the famous Connery one: is one ping only. One ping only. That's one it. One ping only. That's it. One ping only. One ping only. Mish money, baby. <laughs> what a great movie! Yeah, good choice. Good cool. choice. Next beer. Or another. Let's do one more movie since I'm still savoring really? this uh, lager. Really? really? All right. Okay. Yeah. I'm reach, uh, see. I'm reaching the end of it, so I'm coming. Uh, you're just you're just whipping through that beer, buddy. No. Yeah. Okay, but this so time are you going to do one movie only, please? One movie only, I, Matt. I, I will. I will. I'd like to shoe. This movie is actually part of a trilogy. Oh, or good actually, Lord. Yeah. More than a trilogy. But okay. I'm, and I and I am shoehorning the other two in, but um, but the the one I really, I actually I actually recorded this onto videotape. Wow. Back in the nineties, at some point in time. Back when we still had VCR. Were yeah, you a, were yeah, you a, were you a VHS or a Beta man? No, we have VHS. We had Beta. We had Beta Max. But um, eventually my father realized that it was a dying technology and we moved forward. <laughs> um, but um, the, so I watched this literally until the tape stretched. So certain scenes were just unwatchable. Wow. But but I'm choosing Christmas Vacation, the third okay. National Lampoon's Vacation movie. Wow, okay. An interesting one is uh, Chevy Chase uh, vehicle. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, you're speaking as if you haven't watched this over and over again. I have not, Matt. I mean, actually, the whole Christmas Vacation trilogy, I am very unfamiliar with. It's, it's, it is so funny. Mm. It is, it is it, the, the script was written by John Hughes. Which I mean, all I know about, about him is that Boris Foyer did the cover. Uh, oh, <laughs> that's right, of, of like him clutching, of her clutching mm. at his legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. John Hughes wrote the script, and John Hughes is a phenomenal of course he's a he's writer. a O'Tier. exactly very much so. But it's also a great cast. It's got a young Juliet Lewis, uh, young Johnny Galecki, who's now in um, or was in um, Big Bang Theory. Wow. Um, Juliet Lewis Dreyfus was played the neighbor. Um, so real Randy again, Crane's, like a starter up of yeah, what, we would become so. comedians of of note. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's a it's hilarious. And Chevy Chase is in his element. Chevy Chase is fundamentally an arsehole. Mm. Like, like just a, just that's, generally. That's a, what I was going to say. Is maybe one thing I have not enjoyed um, Chevy Chase as an actor very much uh, back then, and I think that's what kept me from watching those movies. I, I think it's that's the reason why these films are so good. Right, is because because he plays Clark Griswold, and Clark Griswold. In many ways, is actually an arsehole. He's a, he's not a he he cares about his family, but in most cases, he actually just cares about himself. Right. You know, he worries about his own needs and his own wants, and then subsumes them, or, or conflates them with his with his family's needs and wants on all these vacations that they go on. But at the end of the day, he's really just looking after himself. Right. And C- Christmas vacation is very much about you know he wants a new pool. <laughs> so he 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 wants he wants uh, he wants his Christmas bonus, right. and 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 when he doesn't get his bonus, it triggers this enormous kind of uh, this this episode of insanity where he goes on this rant about how much he hates his boss, and it's mm. one of the funniest funniest rants that have ever been captured on film ever, and it's believable because Chevy Chase is a dick. 
And you can imagine him saying horrible things about horrible people. Right. <laughs> but yes, Christmas Vacation is absolutely one of those things. Mm. If it's on, I'm watching that. No, it's, that's a very good pick. I mean, I haven't seen it, but I, 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 I feel um, nostalgia about 1980s comedies like that. Um, there's so many really good ones yeah. out there. Absolutely. That, uh, and it was, it was like a, the, the last great era for comedy, you know, the 80s. The, You're right. The, it, that was it. You know, we had wonderful mm. R-rated comedies. Really, really yeah. um Well, I think maybe the, the, the meta-narrative of this podcast, perhaps, episode, is that and it's something I spoke to you about with my better half yesterday when I was discussing my prep for this uh, episode is it's weird to me to see how few contemporary movies are on my list here. Yeah. Which worries me yeah, a little bit. Well, I think a, a big element of rewatchability is the nostalgia mm. in that rewatchability. It's like, like yeah. you said, it's like that. It's a, it's a, it's a toasted cheese sandwich. Mm. You know, it's, it's comforting. It's, I know what's happening next. It's, I know, I, 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 I can put myself back into that place. Yeah. And, that's what makes it so I hope good. it's only nostalgia, not a comment on movies being produced currently. But yeah, I guess time will tell. Uh, yeah, we are. We'll, we'll find out when we do our podcast in 2040, if we're still doing As we will. As we show. will. We've got nothing else going on. I mean, obviously, I'll have my robot assistant help me with you know, <laughs> lifting yeah, the microphone. I'm, I'm not sure how you'll fit it into the refrigerator box you stay in under the N1 highway. True. Yeah. You seem to really be obsessed with that box. <laughs> I'm I'm just worried about you, man. It's cold. You know, it's not hygienic. I know. Well, my, uh, you know, many people who know me think I'll eventually end up as a brain in a bottle. So I don't. Oh, okay. I wouldn't okay. want to disappoint well, my fans. You're halfway there. I'm halfway there. So okay. So I have to so, choose one. What's your pick? Yeah. What's your pick? Difficult one. I hope I can get to all the ones I really want to pick. Um, uh, but I'm going to pick a British comedy, a somewhat of a heist movie, and that is Snatch. Great film. What a film. Like Guy Ritchie. What a film. Yeah. What a film. What a film. What a film. I mean, a lot of people would pick his first one, which is Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, which is also on my list, by the way. But I, yeah. I mean, of the two, I prefer Snatch. It's got the more last ability. It's, it's got a lot of fantastic scenes. I mean, it's, it's a string-along movie in the sense that it's got lots of scenes strung along. And so if you're someone who requires a traditional plot-driven narrative, you're going to be disappointed. But... It's a lovely, it's the British, I mean, in some ways for me, it's the British equivalent of Pulp Fiction in the sense of how it messes around with, so. with plot, time, Very and character. Very much so, yeah. But in so many ways, it's got, every single character is not wasted. Like, and I'm, when I mean every single character, I mean it. Like, from from the, the, the main cast, obviously, which includes, you know, Jason Statton and, and probably one of the best roles, I think, um, of um, Brad Pitt's career. Yeah, playing playing very much against type there, and speaking incomprehensibly in some ways. <laughs> Do you like dogs? You, you like dogs? Like oh, that's you like dogs? that is a classic scene which which I yeah. use on a daily basis actually. Periwinkle um, blue, periwinkle blue. So I mean, there's so many fantastic things happening on screen. Uh, yeah. Every but what every even a minor character like the the lady who works at the bookies, um, which gets robbed. Is no, just, that's right. She just fits into that role in a way which you can totally believe that she is that person. Yeah, where she, the one who says we're closed. Yeah, <laughs> all bets are off. All bets are off. Yeah, I mean, and the the guys who, who of course, the you know the classic Russian you know actor who's uh, Rada Sebeja. I don't know. Oh uh, yes, messing the, up the, his name. In, no, no, no. Boris the he, Blade. He's he's, uh, he's uh, Serbian or Croatian. He's Croatian. He, yes. he, 
he he always plays the most insane crazy people. Russian. Yeah, that's that, that's his thing. It's like, do we do we need someone who looks like they can chop off the head yeah. of a baby? Yeah, to get him. And he's get involved him. in in actually the quote which which I use a lot. In fact, it's become the standard quote we use in my family for when someone asks a stupidly obvious question. Then the natural reply comes out of the movie where you say, "Because he does his bullets heavy." Because <laughs> Avi, which is obviously played by the incomparable Dennis yeah, Farina. In yeah. fact, many ways, for me, Dennis Farina steals the show in this movie in many ways. He's so good. Like his his little journeys across the Atlantic oh, man. W- with a whiskey and a couple of yeah, poles, you know, and, you he's know. Just like, and he just goes, fucking, I hate, he goes, I hate yeah. England. Anything I to declare, fucking. yeah, don't fucking visit England. Never visit England, yeah. yeah. So good. Vinnie um, Jones is great in that as well. There's that not a single person who's not firing on all cylinders in this movie. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, what a, what a great pick! That's a really such a stellar, stellar fall. So that would be my second pick. Um, great pick! Great. Let's pick. have another beer. I think we should probably have an IPA because there is this little thing we like to call the IPA leaderboard, <sighs> which, uh, which, uh, as you know, as a frequent listener, and if you're a new listener tuning in, welcome. We, Matt and I, the hosts of uh, Scumbeer and Villainy, are going to be drinking all the IPAs in the world, so you don't have to. Uh, and we're we're you know chipping away at that mountain bit by bit yeah yeah day by day day by day and so maybe it would be useful to just remind people i like to remind people a little bit of where we are in the leaderboard in terms of the top five beers right now um just so that we can sort of situate it uh, in case we're going to get an upset uh so we had a recent upset in the recent episode which you can go listen to very true. Um, and right now, as of a recording, the number one IPA Matt and I have tasted is the Juicy Lucy New England IPA by Devil's Peak Brewing Company or oh, Devil's Peak yeah. Beer Company. So that's number one. Number two is the Little Something Something by Laguanitas, which is a white IPA. Number, still, holding on, still holding on there. Still holding on. Still a damn kick-ass beer. Number three, Skeleton Coast IPA by Jack Black Brewing Company. Number four, Ruination Double IPA by Stone Breweries, California. And then number five, another American export, Laguanitas IPA by Laguanitas. So those are the th- – oh, and joint fifth, sorry, is Cape Cone IPA by Soul yeah. Brewing Company. Yeah, let's not forget that because that is that – Out is of a, a beer. Fucking hell of a beer. So a bit of a mixture between American and South African. Um, today we're pretty much going to be plumbing some more South African IPAs. And Matt, the first one we're going to try is a single hop IPA by mm-hmm. that brewing company. And it is the Simcoe, Simcoe single hop IPA. Ah. ah. Some good some good uh good foley. So Matt, what do you what think? Do you, of, what do you, okay, yeah, you go. I was, you go. Gonna, I was gonna ask you because I'm I'm kind of conflicted. About the about. branding. Yeah, I am. I'm a yeah. little bit conflicted. I'm not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I would. I mean, like it's not the worst branding I've seen, but it's not great. No, uh, it does. No. It does very few favors to the brand. I have to say. Um, I mean, that brewing company already to me is perhaps one of the most. I don't know. I mean, let me try and be diplomatic. It's mm. not a great name for a brewing company. I, I just don't think yeah. it. it's. It seems there's a little a, lazy. There's a lot of SEO juice in that. You know, that bring. I mean, like, what are you trying to say here? You know, no, um, no. It's one of those things where uh, I mean, I do work with 
with brewing companies and branding and marketing and and one of the things I often tell them, and I think you agree with me on that one, is that, you know, take your first 10 ideas and stick them down the loop. Yeah. Because they, they are likely to they be shit, you know. And I, I, th- I think this was like number two on that list, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 Not a great I, name. I, I, I find all of the messaging on their branding very mixed, you know. I, I find, like, and, and I, I don't like saying things like this because the they've put a lot of effort into the branding you know what i mean it's it's they've tried to get some good elements in there and you can see that they've printed it well and they've Mm. they've there's effort i can and i that's why i don't want to be super negative but the it doesn't it's okay we can be i mean we've been very super negative about some brands which we like the beer of i mean the one which leaps to mind is is uh, agars right i mean we love agars we love hayden agars my, my, my problem is that the this doesn't tell me the beer I'm going to drink mm. in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't. It doesn't. It, it doesn't portray that beer as the type of beer that I think would be enjoyable. Yeah. So it's so that's why I struggle with it because mm. on the one hand, maybe they're breaking boundaries and maybe they're changing, you know, uh, the 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 way we should feel about how these brands are portrayed. Yeah. But on the other hand, you have to hit the notes of what we see and understand as design around beer and craft beer and yeah. and it just it just feels like this doesn't hit any of them. You well, know? in some ways it, it breaks the don't use more than two font styles in your main label rule. I think it's got about four or five. Uh, yeah. So there's very little consistency. The colors are nice. I mean, I do enjoy the green color scheme, but it's, mm. it's not pulled off very well. And I don't know if this is a hopper. Is that what it's supposed to be, a hopper? That Alpha Hopper Simcoe Single Hop IPA, I, I don't know what the actual name is. Is it that Alpha? Or is it Hopper? Is it that Alpha Hopper? Mm. That Alpha Hopper Simcoe? Yeah, it's it's a little weird. I mean, and I don't, I do not care for the what looks to be almost like tribal tattoo pattern design as the main graphic element because tribal tattoos immediately put me in a negative mental space. I was going to say that the design is a little bit um, billabong, you know? Mm. And, and Which, I mean, they're like, Durban-based brewery, so maybe they're referencing some of that, like it's surf-style you know, stuff. Maybe they are trying to change a lot of the visual iconography that goes with um, beer branding and things like that, which I can respect, but you have to maintain some elements that allow people to associate their expectations with what's in the can. You know, yeah, um, and that's where I feel that this disappears a little bit. I mean, for me as a beer nerd, I mean, I I am able to look past branding a little bit more, I guess. I mean, and the one thing which drew me immediately to wanting this beer is the name Simcoe because it happens to be my favorite hop. Um, yeah, on that the is, planet. but that in itself is a very nerd thing because most people don't know what their favorite hop is. Yeah, and I mean, as we've often said, there's a fair amount of consumer education going on in craft beer, and we need to educate people about those things. And so in that way, I think it succeeds because it's telling you it's a single hop IPA, and presumably this weird name Simcoe is the name of the hop. Um, and, and, maybe. and so that Maybe. Maybe, yeah. So, But they don't quite say it all out in any of the writing on the can, which is a pity. So... What I would have wanted to do here is to say, for instance, in the write-up, to say Simcoe is a hop, you know, which we use exclusively in this particular beer. 
Yeah. Yeah, you know, we've we've had beers. I mean, even the Tolokazi, which has a lot less label space, manages mm. to say a lot more about it does, the beer. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, look, like I said, I don't want to be negative about people trying new things. And I understand why it's important for us to move on from a lot of the way that beer is portrayed, like, you know, a castle and a, mm. a sheaf of wheat and a, you know, that kind of stuff. And I, I totally get that. But you've, you've got to relate in some way. Yeah. You know? and, it, and, and I don't know what the name of this beer is, but I do know that it's a single hop IPA and I'm happy <laughs> about that. Yeah. And, and I like Simcoe. Simcoe is one of my favorite hops. It's a lovely, citrusy, floral, beautiful hop. Mm. I, I've used often in my brewing. And if you are going to pick a single hop to use in, a, in an IPA, Simcoe is not a bad one to go with. Okay. Well, okay. Well, we've uh, let, let me shit less on these guys. Look, let's, as we have said there. before, for those who are tuning in, uh, when it comes to the IPA leaderboard, we are mostly interested in taste and aroma. And only yeah. if there are ties we do we turn to the labeling and the marketing. Um, so let's go with, with in the glass, Matt. I mean, what are you picking up here? Well, allow me to pour. Yeah. Well, pour, pour the beer already. Why are you not pouring the beer? One thing. I'm not really sure why I have suddenly turned into a German. <laughs> um, I want to apologize to all people in Germany listening to this podcast. I wasn't meaning to stereotype no, their entire culture. That, but that was so cultural appropriation. I, was, I am feeling slightly nauseous right now. Good, good. Uh, there is a beautiful head on this beer. Beautiful head, yeah. Lacing. Abso- absolutely yeah. astounding. I'm having mine, by the way, in my IPA glass. Are you having yours in your IPA glass? I'm having this in a Stein glass that I stole from Kebab Junction in the waterfront in 1999. I like a good glass with a good story. There you go. I have nothing but glasses with good stories. Mm, yeah, my glasses are almost universally without story. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes, you just go and buy a nice glass. I just go buy a nice one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very quite dark. Yeah, I mean, opaque. dark. When we say dark, it's it's sort of it's it's quite it's it is. Um, Hazy, without being turbid, so it's a good kind of hazy, which suggests uh, quite a bit of a dry hopping, probably. Um, and with a single hop, you don't want to filter at all. You want to get all the hop flavor you can. Mm. Um, so yeah, we're looking at sort of a golden to amber color. Yeah, definitely more on the amber than golden. Mm. Which does suggest a fair amount of crystal malts and possibly even a smattering of dark malts just to get into that color zone, uh, along with your pale malt. So that uh, concerns me slightly because I think you're being pretty uh, courageous <laughs> when you use those sort of malts in your single hop IPAs if your goal is to foreground the hop. Highlight the, yeah, highlight the hop, yeah. And in fact, in, in the States right now, when people make single hopped uh, IPAs, they, they try and dial down the hop i mean the malts to such an extent that it's virtually just like a very neutral pale malt no caramel hops uh caramel hops, what am I talking about? no caramel malts um so that it really foregrounds the, the hop and they would often add mm. things like uh, gypsum they will take care of their water profile to make it even more hoppier uh, look carefully at other other elements of yeast management to to foreground the hops as well so so I think the idea of putting crystal malts and so on in your single hop IPAs is maybe a bit old-fashioned, um, you know, albeit to try and balance out the bitterness of the, the hop. The bitterness of the, of the hop, yeah. I, I can I can smell the hop. I can. There, there's definitely a oh, yeah. very hoppy aroma, um, but there I can smell the malt as well. 
Mm. There is there is definitely that element. The one thing which concerns me slightly when I smell this beer is I'm picking up I'm picking up a bit of um diacetyl, which is the, butterscotch yeah, butter toffee. Yeah. yeah. Um, which could be a slight flaw um in an IPA. I mean Look, getting the acetyl out of a beer is not easy. I mean, a lot of beers have some form of diacetyl, and diacetyl is a normal byproduct of fermentation. Um, and you, you get rid of diacetyl for the home brewers out there by doing what's called diacetyl rest, which is just before you bottle the beer, you raise the temperature, and yeast actually scrubs out diacetyl quite effectively from beer. So most brewers will, will include a diacetyl rest in their fermentation schedule, to scrub out diacetyl. Some professional brewers would even pass their beer through a live yeast column um, to scrub out their diacetyl. Mm. Uh, so there are techniques to remove it. Some beer styles call for a little bit of diacetyl. So your British ales, for instance, your your pale ales and your bitters, um, you know, are okay. Your, with your, your more old-fashioned colonial beers, probably. Uh, well, you, you know. know, I I like a <laughs> I bit like of, me a good beer in the afternoon. I like a bit of James butter in my beer when I go hunting <laughs> with the Raj. It's just a you know it was a more um, cottage industry yes. type. Yes. You know, brewing, and so that wasn't yeah. something that you wanted. I think about. that's the technical term for no fucking clue what we're doing. But, we're just um, putting some shit together right now. <laughs> but but a slight there's a slight diastol note here. So if I were doing this as a judge of beer, I would maybe ding them a little bit for that, but not not to no. the extent that but I other, feel like other, this is totally flawed. No, other than that, I think it's it smells good. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it. Yeah, a let's, taste. let's taste. Good mouthfeel. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Definite rounded nice. bitterness, I think. Um, strikes me as, as quite a bit of beer. Not a mm. faux pied, by any stretch no, no, of no. imagination. De- definitely, definitely there. There's, yeah, the bitterness is a kind of grapefruity citrus bitterness. Mm. Which, which Simcoe has, has much Simcoe. of. Yeah, and the Simcoe say, goes into grapefruit, it goes into citrus. Um, it even has some floral aspects sometimes, some perfumey aspects, uh, which I quite like in Simcoe. Mm. It's very clean as well. It's a... Simcoe to me has a cleaner grapefruit flavor than uh, your yeah. classic uh, Cascade, which is your classic yeah. grapefruit your dank, pop. Yeah, yeah, um, this is less dank. Mm. It's got a, a a lemony type of clearance. You know, yeah, I mean, nice. the way I always describe it is for me, Simcoe versus Cascade is Cascade is, is what you get if you maybe stew some grapefruit. It's got a stewiness to it. Um, mm. Whereas Simcoe is if you if you shaved off just the rind of the grapefruit. The pith, yeah. You know? Yeah, I can. That's, yeah. that's exactly right. It's, uh, this is actually very tasty. Mm. Very tasty. I'm not, I'm not getting a lot of malt, so no. so they've balanced that out quite well. The malt, I mean, I get the caramel malt. There is caramel flavors, slight toffee flavors. Um, the diacetyl is less in the taste than in the aroma, which is good. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't carry. So there's clearly not a lot of diacetyl in the beer, which means that you don't really pick it up much in the taste. Also, your hops can disguise it quite a bit. Which is why IPAs are nice that way. I mean, you, you know, the hops mm. are great for giving. For, for giving, yeah. Quite carbonated. I'm, I'm kind of burping a little bit here. Burpy, yeah, it is, it is quite carbonated. Mm. But, but I think in a way it's also quite nice. The carbonation is quite li- nice because it lifts the flavor in your mm. mouth as well. You know, it's, um, it does. And one of the it's, great. It's a bright aspect right. to it. And one of the nice things about carbonation is it also cleans your tongue. The bitterness doesn't, um, you know, build up to an extent where it becomes unpleasant. You don't want a low carbonation IPA. That's n- generally not a good idea. 
because it'll become progressively more undrinkable. Yeah. Um, this is not that. So I'm no. enjoying this. It's very bitter, yeah. which I like. Yeah, I mean, I like a robust yeah. bitterness. This is quite sessionable as well. At, at 5.8 mm. alcohol, you know, I could definitely handle this. And again, yeah. I think it's a great idea. I mean, we've now kind of railed a bit against the market the branding, but it's a great idea yeah. to educate the beer oh, consumer. Sure. Because now I want to yeah. see their Centennial single up. I want to see their Chinook single up, their Cascade single up. Mm. So you can compare them and mm. get educated mm, about sure. the different things hops are able to do. So well done, that brewing company. That's actually really, really nice. I'm, I'm quite enjoying that. I could, I could definitely have a couple of these. But now comes the age-old question mm. of how are we going to rate this puppy? Where are we going to place it in our IPA leaderboard? Yeah. Um. I, I think this is a solid, to me, this is a solid seven. Mm, mm. This is a, seven. a solid seven. And remembering that we can do any any fraction whatsoever, right? Yeah, we just, it's, fractions are hard, Marcel. It's not hard. Fractions are hard. <laughs> I'll be like that. So you're giving it a solid if, seven. If, 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 uh, if, yeah, if, okay, if I'm going to really go into the fractions, I'm going to go at a 7.25. Do that. Do some fractions, man. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to be, I'm, look at me. I'm an iconoclast. Whatever that means. You're using the big words again. I'm a, um, uh, Yeah, no, I, I'm, in this sense, I actually think I'm going to go a little higher than you. So you're going 7.25. Yes, I am. I am, hmm, I actually like it quite a bit. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. So I'm going to go 7.75. Ooh. Yeah. A whole point. I mean, a whole half a point. Holy shit. A whole half a point. 7.75 is my rating. It's it getting is, close it to an very, 8. very, very nice. But I, I, I guess what I like about it is that very bitter, I, I'm not playing around here kind of flavor, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. That doesn't bug me. I like the bitterness. Hmm. Um, I, th I think, to me, there's just, there's like that tinge of maltiness that I don't like right I, I that's the only part that is, is pulling points down mm, mm. i don't i don't generally like multi beers and to me that's the part that i'm not enjoying about this but other than that i think it's a lovely bit and like i said i'd have a, a bunch mm. of i i'm not picking up as much mold as you maybe that's what's uh, coloring because i i'm with you there i don't generally enjoy overly multi ipas um but somehow i i don't know yeah, it doesn't quite do that for me. Mm. Um, I become COVID made me very sensitive to malt, so mm. I, I can now kind of taste it from a mile off. So there's a, there's just a touch of it, and it's the only thing that I'm not liking about it. Right, I think that's fine. Uh, I think we can, uh, you know. Don't judge me, Marcel. I don't judge you, bastard. Don't judge me. Don't judge me like I judge this beer. <laughs> it's so sad. Um, yeah, no, I think it's very, it's a very nice beer. I mean, I really am enjoying it. Um, we don't really know the name of the beer. I'm going to go on a limb and say it's the the That Alpha That Alpha Hopper, Hopper Simper. That Alpha Hopper Simper. Simper. It must be. I mean, that those sounds almost like a, the front of the kid. sounds like one of those childhood games you play, like, you know, with yeah. the scotch stuff. Yeah, Mary Magdalene Morris Minor. <laughs> cool. I was never a child. I never played games. No. Okay, Matt. So that was the single hop IPA from that brewing company. Not a bad one. 
No, I'm still drinking mine. It's actually mm. quite delicious. It's very, very nice. Shall we move on to another movie? Go. Do you want to go first this time? I'll go first. I'll go first. Uh, again, as always, a very d- difficult decision, but mine is reasonably easy. It is a from a genre of movies I quite enjoy, and that is the Western genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have more, no Westerns on my list, by the way. I've got more than a few, uh, actually, on mine. Zero Westerns on my so list. So my one, which I cannot resist watching, no matter where it is that I find that movie, is Tombstone. Oh, shit. I should have some Westerns <laughs> on my list. Tombstone and they should so be good. Tombstone. Tombstone what is a so great film. delightful. Yeah. yeah, that is a fucking great film. I'll be your Huckleberry. I'll be your Huckleberry. <laughs> Shame, man. Perhaps what the best. Fucking Val Kilmer. I know he's a sad tale, but I mean, perhaps his best role ever. Is yeah, that role. yeah, yeah. I know, which is which is astounding because he had some, you know, really really good mm. identifying roles. You know? Everyone remembers oh, yeah. him from, you know, fuck, he was in Top Gun for God's sake. But I mean, Val Kilmer features shit. features quite heavily on my list here. As it turns out, because because he's probably the finest actor of his generation, mm. he's just incredible. But him as as um, as Doc Holliday is just spellbinding, mm. spellbinding. I remember Magnetic. the I remember the first time I watched Tombstone. I didn't know that was him. Like I could I, I couldn't place who that actor was until halfway through the movie. I suddenly realized, fuck, that is Val Kilmer. That's Val Kilmer. Yeah, yeah. he he's so good. He's so good. He's mm. he's magnetic. He's just yeah. He he look, I, I love Kurt Russell and I love mm. um Sam um Sam Elliott and Sam Elliott uh, is know, one of my favorites. I mean that man's voice alone is worth the price of admission. Yeah. And both sometimes Paxton. you eat the bar and sometimes the bar bites back. And we've got some aliens uh sort of, you know, flavor. Yeah, al- got, alumni, yeah. We've got Bill Paxton and Michael Bean. Yeah. I the it's a great film. It's an absolutely mm. great film. And it had a if I remember correctly, it had quite a weird troubled production. Yeah, with um, you know people handing over directing from one person to another, but what a what a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant film. Mm. I mean, despite all that, you know, they, it did it did work. You know, to an extent yeah. that it's still for me one of the iconic westerns. I, I would agree with you. I think it was look. I think it was dismissed a little bit when it was made because it was seen as a bit more of a action western as opposed to those brooding. Long, mm. um, you know, uh, true grit type westerns that, that had been made before, which which have um, those sort of long takes of a guy, yeah, you know, a riding guy a horse at a river, in, exactly, in the exactly distance. for like for three and a half hours, <laughs> and it's just kind of like, okay, I like that, but I also like the fact that Kurt Russell gets off a stagecoach and just shoots some people. Yeah, you know, that's that's also cool. But I think we can all um, agree that in many ways, Val Kilmer steals the show in this movie. I I, I was that's what I was going to say is that I. You know, regardless of who your your actors are in that movie, when Val Kilmer puts in the best performance of his life, yeah, like the one he was born to play, mm. then unfortunately you guys are just backups. You're yeah. just you're just scenery. It is, and but again, a movie which is so compelling that every scene. I guess that's what makes all these movies uh, the, the movies we're picking is that they they they're very sparse in the way they deal with scenes. They're very economical. In the no. storytelling, there's no wasted scene where you where, because if you happen to walk in when the movie's playing, there's no scene which is going to make you go, "Oh, I don't think I want to watch this." Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. That, that every single scene is like that's the one that hooks me. So yeah, Tombstone, good one. That's a that's a very good one. Um, I'm you're not going to agree with me, <laughs> but I feel 
but I feel like the the one that I'm going to choose next actually kind of fits into that theme right. of, of Tombstone. Um, I'm choosing Roadhouse, Patrick Swayze's Roadhouse, Roadhouse from, from 1989. Wow. That's a bit of a Which steamy is, movie as well, isn't it? It is. It's sexy. There's Kenny Lynch and with boobs and fire. and Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's, it's very steamy. But, but, it, but it, in a way, it's also kind of Western. You've got this very Southern feel to the movie. You've got Patrick Swayze, who's basically a cowboy. Right. You know, you've got you've got the villains who are looking to kind of take over the the, the, the farm or the, the roadhouse itself, and yeah, and they've got henchmen, and, and it, it fits into that kind of western feel very, very, very nicely. And um, yeah, I, I I love roadhouse. I can I can start watching roadhouse at any point in that film. Yeah, I haven't really. I don't think I've ever watched this movie. It's weird. What's wrong with you? I know, right? What is wrong with you? Mm, I must watch it. But that's kind of the point of this whole show is, is hopefully the listeners are also yeah. going, I've never watched that movie and now they can. Roadhouse. Yeah, well, I mean, look, just for Patrick Swayze's performance where he mm. plays kind of a modern cowboy, you know, he's got he's got this this honor mm. in terms of, you know, how he'll treat people. But if you disrespect him or you disrespect where he works, right. then he will unleash enormous amounts of violence upon you. I mean, just Kelly you know? Lynch is a babe. Wow. She's good looking. Kelly, Kelly Lynch was a absolute hot star of like that kind of late mm. 80s, early 90s. She was off the hook beautiful. Wow. Off the hook beautiful. Interesting. Um, she was she was in a couple of films during that period. Mm. You know, she, she had a, a re- reasonable career and she was, she was good at what she did, which was usually just being, you know, side beauty for Patrick Swayze. But, right. um, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a very cool, almost Chuck Norris esque um, action form where you don't worry too much about the plot. You know that Patrick Swayze is going to do a flying back click like um, Jean Claude Van Damme <laughs> at some point in I time. That's for me is the most surprising is that Patrick Swayze as a martial artist action star is not something I immediately think about. He's he's really good. I mean, look, he his his um, forte was dance. You know, he was a great dancer. Well, dirty dancing is the iconic uh, example. Right? Absolutely, but but I mean, I think he was a ballet dancer. You know, he okay. was a, a classic. A classic. His mother was a dancer and a dance teacher, so he 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 learned dancing and he just kind of transferred that physicality into into like a martial arts fighting perspective, hmm. and it's 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 brilliant. He does he does some her- like I'm not going to tell you what they are, but he does some things to people that are horrific. Okay, he so tears it's a things violent out movie. of people. It's, it, it is. A, There's I mean, out there spinal cord. It was the it, it was the late '80s. That's what right. you did. You mixed you mixed violence with narrative, and hmm. you got a movie. Hmm. You know. Well, I will watch this movie. It's, it's you'd love it. It's a complete throwaway. It means nothing in the greater scheme of things, and it's infinitely rewatchable. Well, you've sold me it's, on it. it. Just what watch it just to see what Patrick Swayze rips out of a person. That's. <laughs> If ever there was a good recommendation, it must be then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's revolted. It's revolting. <laughs> cool. Shall we try another beer, or do you want to try another movie, man? Uh, let's do one movie. Okay. And then let's do one movie, and then two beers. I think that's huh? revolutionary, huh? out of the box thinking huh? again, Matt. I'm just I'm just blowing the whole lid off this place. You're creating synergies. You're addressing burning platforms. <laughs> you are. 
Yeah, don't, do don't do that. Don't do that. Don't come at me with corporate speak. You know, I can't handle that. Oh, God. I think we should start another podcast called, you know, Corporate Speak. Corporate Speak. Yeah. Blue Sky Thinking. Right. Let's, let's go for another movie. So my last one I picked was uh, Tombstone. So I'm... Yeah, it's so difficult. I've got so many of these. I mean, in some ways, this is my movie watching life. So it's very difficult for me to pick the movie. And there's two I'm not going to blame. The one movie is the is definitely the movie I've watched the most of any other movie. So so do, so do that one. Let's hear that one. I so, want to hear the movie out of all movies that you've hmm. watched more than any other movie. And it's by quite a long stretch, actually. Uh, you know, I've not made any kind of scientific study of this, but I subjectively I know this is the movie I watch more hmm. than any other movie ever. Can I can I guess? It's also a movie I've watched more in cinema than any other movie ever. I watched can this I guess? Movie, I've watched this movie five times. I kid you not. At five, the cinema. In the at cinema. The yeah. Is it sci-fi? No. Hmm, then I'm not going to guess. Mm. Then it's I'm not, not going to guess. Oddly enough. Okay. Um, it is in the genre of crime movie. Um, oh, oh, then I do know what it is. You probably do, and it's starring. Probably two of the most iconic actors of our lifetime. Yeah. De Niro and uh, Pacino. Absolutely. And it's called Heat. Michael Mann. Great pick. Heat is the movie Great I've watched pick. the most in my life. Um, I have stopped watching it as much uh, nowadays, but it is still a movie which, if it's on, I'm going to be watching it. Yeah. And given how many times I've watched Heat, I feel that if ever Michael Mann loses his original script of the movie and the copies of the movie uh, you know kept in a warehouse somewhere in Hollywood are, are burned down you, yeah. need, you need not worry you can call me up and I can recite the movie word for, for word word for word plus, plus scene descriptions and actor cues and everything and he'll be fine yeah I uh, hear you yeah um, we uh, when, when, when I was at when I was doing uh, drama and film at Varsity mm. the scene between Pacino and De Niro at of their course. roadhouse of on course. the highway of course it's the iconic scene was literally shown to us as like the, mm. the this was this is as good as it's going to get guys yeah i remember empire like, this magazine. is what you should be doing yeah i mean i remember empire magazine which is a great magazine still going had they always have this feature at the back of the magazine of script notes which they show the actual script and notes made by the actors and notes as well yeah and there was one edition where they published that scene's notes and it's fascinating because it's mostly done by De Niro and Pacino. They 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 were given a lot of leeway, even by a guy like Michael Mann, who tends to be one of the more controlly controlling. Controlling, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he knew that this was a unique moment in cinema history, and he he gave them a lot of leeway. And the notes yeah. made on the script was by by Michael Mann, Pacino, and De Niro. So good. I mean, just everything you could just see how that scene was constructed to be so good. Every yeah. line they 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 crossed out was a line you didn't want to hear. Um, every line they included was a line you did, and yeah. um, what a wonderful! I mean, the, yeah, the, wonderful the movie. Genius, the, the genius of that scene and the movie in general mm. is how Michael Mann gave. Because I mean, look, it's an astonishing cast: mm. Tom Sizemore and Val Kilmer, Val Kilmer and John Voight. Val Kilmer yeah, well, keeps, keeps on coming up, eh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ashley Judd, Michael T. Williamson. Mm. These are great actors of, of that generation, mm. and Michael Mann gives them all the space. Yeah. You know, to be exactly what they're supposed to be. Mm. You know, he doesn't he doesn't bring it down on them. No. Um, Ashley Ashley Judd's probably a little bit underused, a little bit, mm. but, but but still, she plays that, pivotal role yeah, scenes and, in the movie. And absolutely, and he doesn't overwhelm it. Like Heat is 
is so brilliant in that it's an action film and a, and mm. a visceral action film yes. that doesn't overuse its action. You know, when mm. each bullet each bullet fired is like a yeah. is is a is a, an important bullet you know it's a and much like snatch there are no wasted characters every single character is a character of note used properly i think yeah i think it fits into that kind of um over of genius where you kind of realize what you have mm. and how seldom you have it it was also one of the first movies i watched where i became aware of a director's style um I mean, I'd watched Last of the Meekins, for instance, by Michael Mann before Heat, obviously. Also one of my favorite movies. Not on my list, but uh, probably could be. And and that was a great movie. But when I watched Heat, I suddenly realized, oh, this guy's got a... This director has a style of making a movie. He's got a a color spectrum he likes putting in the grain of the movie as a filter. And, you know... That sort of stuff. So, yeah. so, so his, became, his cinematography, yeah, yeah it's, it's very immediate. You know, he, mm. he, I mean, he made he made the switch to digital very early. Yeah, he, he, you know, with with Collateral and Miami Vice, he moved to he digital film very, very, very early. Mm. And it's because he likes the immediacy and documentary style yeah. of being right there in your in the face. You know, mm. and it feels like this is a Super Eight camera that you're just pointing while people do things. Yeah. And collateral is on um, my long list for this this show. I wouldn't I wouldn't put it on my short list, but it's on my long list for sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. He, and, and Michael Mann's a very interesting filmmaker. He's a very very interesting filmmaker because as as we're discussing about him giving people room yeah. to act and perform, he's also very very good at now getting right down into the action. As mm. we know, during the scene of the bank heist in Heat, where it's there, there's a chaos to it, you know, yeah. and he's. And and this this camera is flying between different. But that portions. scene is often cited by military people as being a very accurate depiction of how you would do that in a military way. And they actually did have a very famous military advisor, Andy McNabb, who who's the guy who led the Bravo to Zero SAS. SAS mission. Yeah, he was the yeah. military advisor of that scene. So it was absolute SAS tactics they were showing there, and it was very realistic. Yeah. What a what a great choice! That's a beautiful, beautiful film, and yeah. it should be on everybody's list. And it, I mean, I'd Michael Mann should be on your list because no one's watched it. What I find interesting about Michael Mann is he doesn't, unlike some directors we already discussed, he doesn't seem to have a topic he likes. I mean, he Heat mm. is a crime movie. Then he did the the um, Insider, which was this yeah you know with Co- yeah almost a courtroom drama. Courtroom drama. Type. Then he does Lost Meekins, yeah. which is a historical epic. Then he does Collateral. So he he. Mm. he, he he seems to have a different perspective on what kind of movie he wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think, but I mean, that's the mark of a great mm. director, you know, is that they're not pigeonholed into a genre. They've got stories to tell and they know how to tell them. You Hell know, yeah. That's, you know, they're not just making the matrix five times. Mm. I'm kind of it's, conscious that I don't have a sci-fi movie on you yet, but don't worry. That's going to change. Mm, okay. Okay. Well, let me, let me do mine. Cool. Do yours, man. Um, um, so I'm going to, I'm going to give you one. That we that this is actually a movie that was on TV yesterday in the afternoon. What? And I sat down about halfway through, and I was like, "Holy shit! I can't not watch this." Mm. So it was and just good timing for the show. It was perfect timing for the show. It wasn't on my list before, but it, became, it went on my list yesterday. And it is um, a few good men. A few good men. You get yeah. altitude, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you call a code red? Did you call a code red? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I don't have enough courtroom dramas on my list, and I do love yeah. that genre. Yeah, and A Few Good Men is probably one of the finest, mm. finest examples of a good courtroom. Such drama, a good right? movie. 
No, mm. no. It's it's brilliant. Tom Cruise is in his element doing exactly what he does, which is being Tom Cruise. Mm. Jack Nicholson in a career defining role. Yeah. Um, you know, that that arrogance, that mm. total superiority of everybody. And he else, just plays you know, like, it's a role made for Jack Nicholson because you absolutely. believe him to be superior. Absolutely that's exactly right. And mm. and so does everybody else. Even the people who think he's guilty yeah. feel like in some way like they're demeaning the system mm. by finding him guilty i think this know? admiration for jack nicholson extends beyond movies because when you i've noticed that when actors talk about their recollections of nicholson on scene on on set the the stories yeah. he he tells them and the way he relates to them is in the same way like they they like awed by him like the stuff he comes yeah. up i can imagine i mean after what is it now it's almost 50 years in mm. hollywood he, he's done nothing but accumulate awe well, I think the only person who he felt all, um, you know, of, if that's the right preposition, is yeah. uh, telling that the only person I've ever knows, noticed in interviews or any stories about Nicholson which he shows any kind of admiration for is, in fact, Andreas Thompson. Well, Andreas Thompson and him had a very, very weird relationship. And the there's that funny story person. about Thompson and the shooting and all the things. Yeah, yeah, where Thompson tried to deliver a raw elk's heart to, yeah. his, to his bunker. In Aspen, um, but yeah, as far I think Jack Nicholson saw Hunter Thompson in many ways as the outlaw that he wanted to be. You know? Yeah, like yeah. Jack Nicholson was was not part of the system. Um, you know, his first couple couple of films, you know, he did some bit parts and things like that. But I mean, one of his first major films was Easy Rider, which is of a course. movie made entirely by drug addicts and stoners showing that they could make a movie out of and a good movie actually. I mean, I remember watching Easy Rider with great skepticism yeah and i yeah, i, no, I caught myself a good film yeah at the end of the movie you catch yourself going actually it's not oh. a bad film <laughs> yeah and look i mean because now we're outside the counterculture mm. you know we're not we're not part of what it felt like to watch easy rider at a time when movies like easy rider weren't made oh yeah yeah um but but now even now you look back and you go oh geez it isn't just that you know peter fonda was high for seven consecutive months yeah it was there's there's actually some substance to this, you know. Mm. It means even if it's a death of the American dream or the the reawakening of the American dream, either way, it means something. Any, anyway, sorry, we're getting off the the point about Jack Nicholson is good movie choice. In, thank you, thank you very Solid. much. Thank you very much. Keep Keep Sutherland, Kevin Bacon, Kevin Pollack, J.T. Walsh, Demi Moore, for fuck's mm. sake, uh, where she where she actually was yeah. acting. Whatever happened you know? to her though? I mean, she just disappeared. You know what? I've actually seen her lately in a couple of TV okay. shows. Okay, cool. so that's 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 me. If you haven't seen a few good men, I'm not going to go into detail though. But good grief, mm. just go watch it. Fucking go up. watch it. Yeah, yeah. Groovy match. Shall we do two beers? You said two beers. We'll do two beers. Yeah, let's do two beers. Good grief. So the next one up is not an IPA, so it doesn't qualify for the leaderboard. But it is from a brewery we have mentioned in the past of saying we cannot wait for the next beer, and so. We didn't have to wait because there is a next beer there's, and we have it. There's the beer. There's the beer. And it is the, well, it's still, it's Bearded Brew, who is the, the beer company. Well, it's also part of the Yeti Underground. There are many different you names. Know, I, <laughs> I was going to say, I'm actually not sure who makes mm. this beer. There are, there are many contributors <laughs> to this beer. It's, it's a, it's a, the, thanks a village to do know, a good beer. Bearded Brew and OC and Yeti yeah. Underground and Liquid Culture and Cactus Craft. There are, there are a lot of labels yeah. on this label. A lot of people involved. Label. Yeah. Um, 
But but what is without a doubt is it it is a beer we were looking forward to. Um, Yo, and this I was one very sucked for this. Beer. This one is called Nitro Leprechaun. Uh, so it's a nitrogen beer uh, for mm. one. So it's got nitrogen in it, uh, which is familiar for anyone who's ever done a how we had a Guinness draft at a pub. A Guinness, yeah. Those are nitrogen dispensed beers. So nitrogen is a much smaller bubble than CO two. So it gives you a silkier mouthfeel. It gives you a silkier carbon. Well, it's not technically carbonation, but it's the it's physical. nitrogenation, bro. It's nitrogenation, baby. And it's supposed to give you a silky head as well. Now, putting nitrogen beers in cans um, is a little bit uh, tricky. Uh, Guinness seems to have cracked it. They've got a little yeah. widget in the can which which dispenses the nitrogen as you open it. I don't Correct. think this is what these guys have done, although I don't, I'm not sure. Um, no, there's there's no widget in this can. No, but it's, it's sort of an idea that you shake it vigorously, thereby mixing in the nitrogen and dispenser. Now, mm. personally, I just never like shaking any can of beer. Just yeah, it feels I'm, wrong, yeah. I'm just afraid very, that it's going to make a mess. Um, yeah. So I, no, I'm, it works. I, I've had one of these, and it, yeah. you can do it. You, you can. can. Do it. Yeah, you can. Well, just just for the safe for safety's sake, in my sensitive electronic equipment, I'm I'm doing it not oh, as oh, vigorously as suggested. Yeah. Yeah, away from the laptop. Yeah. Um, another nice 440 can. So it does seem like 440 is making its reappearance in can form. So again, I feel vindicated. I feel like my loyalty to Club 44, y'all for life has been, <laughs> has been vindicated. Yeah. 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 I'm glad, I'm glad to see that the volume's coming yeah. back. So this is supposed to be an Irish red ale. Um, and so for most of us, we would know Irish red ales through having had Kilkenny, Kilkenny, which, which yeah. is the, you know, the most mass produced Irish red ale in the market. Irish red yeah. ales are supposed to be very soft, uh, malt forward, very, very friendly beers. Mm. Um, so let's have a let's have some foley there, metal. I'm very afraid of the foley in this. No, book. no, no, no. I'm not. There's going to be no foley on this. Yeah. Well, well uh, what I want to also mention is that if anyone's been overseas, there's also a phenomenal Irish red called Murphy's. Right, which is, Murphy's red which ale, is, which is probably my favourite beer of all time. Mm. Actually, I've had a few so Murphys is, in my time. Yeah, which is supposed to be. So this is supposed to be very similar to that. You know, absolutely. All right, I'm gonna. I'm opening away from my laptop. So it turns out you don't really have to shake it that vigorously because I, I didn't really. I just sort of agitated it a little bit, and it's fine. It, it produced a, quite a nice pour. A good, a good head on that. Good head, silky, very white, crisp. What do you what do you think about the can, Marcel? I like the can. I mean, it, it's tongue-in-cheek. It shows uh, the cartoon of the two brewers. It's tongue-in-cheek. It's very overly Irish. Um, <laughs> yeah, like now, leprechaun. Now, as someone with Irish ancestry... Yeah. I used to be offended by those sort of things until I actually went to Ireland. And, and they, they, they make fun of it just as much. The as Irish well. have really owned their stereotype, mm. I have to say. You, mm. you cannot go to Dublin and not be within cat-swinging distance of a shop which sells leprechaun icons, shamrocks, and things with the name Paddy on it. So... They just own it. It offended me it. initially. I I, th- I was very disappointed in my fellow Irish when I saw this. But then I realized, you know what? The Irish have just owned it. They just own their cultural yeah. stereotype in a way which completely diffuses it. And they don't give a shit. So yeah. I feel that this is very appropriate. Um, I, look, I, I like <laughs> I like it in a very tongue-in-cheek way, like you said. I, I, I do worry that it does come off as a little bit amateur. Sure. But... But this is limited. But Everything they do is limited edition, right? So limited. I, I, no, I know. I think I know. the beer so brewing kind of is, selling. Yeah, nothing is repeated. They're not going to repeat these beers, as far as I know. Mm. 
So every beer you're going to have from them is going to be once no. only, and you're never going to see it again. No. Uh, and look, uh, what was the what was the other one we had from them? The there was a the Hop and Jekyll. That's it. The the Jekyll and Hyde one. That, Jekyll that and Hops. One. Jekyll and Hops. Jekyll and Hops. Um, like that one, and this is it's very seldom I say this. It's, it might almost be too much text on a can. Oh, if yeah. it was mass, if it was mass market, you know. If I mean, look, they, they put on the whole recipe of the beer. You can take the cans label as a homebrew and recreate and go and make it. Yeah. They tell you when to add things. They tell you what to add. They it's it's the recipe. Yeah. Other yeah. than the actual you know quantity, which any homebrewer of sufficient experience can easily replicate, can work it out. Them yeah. Um, okay, well let's let's then let's let's not worry too much about the branding because it's quite obviously made directly for you. Oh, yourself. absolutely. Yeah, it's made for um, the home brewer. Yeah, and for the beer. So, geek. so there's no, there doesn't have to be a mass market appeal. There doesn't have to be. I'm going to grab that off the shelf. Yeah. So, so let's let's just look at the pour itself. Pour sort of a hazy red color, so hazy amber. So it's yeah. not filtered, I don't think. Um, nice head. Uh, Aroma for me, quite close, but nitrogen does not mm. release as much aroma as CO2 no. because it's again it's a smaller molecule, it's not as effervescent. But even so, I am definitely picking up some caramel and toffee notes. Yeah, and some bright, bright fruity notes like cherry. Yes, very cherry. You're right, cherry is a good one. Yeah, mm. almost like a black cherry. Yeah, the, the the head isn't as dense as I would have expected it to be. Um, but I think that is the what, limitation of canning it in the way they have. I, I was going to say they don't have a widget. You know, widget that widget is really that, what, yeah. what what injects that nitrogen state into exactly. it at the, at the time. So I think what they've um, done is they've nitrogen nitrogenated the, the beer and then canned it. The beer itself, yeah. And so you've got to shake it up to to mix the nitrogen in, where the widget actually introduces like you know, not that it's the right word, but fresh nitrogen through, into the beer. Yeah, through the pore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, it's a, it is a closed head, but I am I am getting a little bit of that cherry. I am and by the way, that's exactly how nitrogenated beers are dispensed. If you go and have a Guinness at a pub, the nitrogen is actually introduced into the beer in line as you at pour. At the spigot, yeah. That's yeah. why those types of spigots are very expensive, by the way, which a lot of pubs don't want to pay for. Um, it's, a, it's a good looking beer. Good it's looking beer. creamy top, amber, red, mm. body. I want to drink it. Hell yeah. Well, shit. This is Kilkenny, oh, but slightly better. Mm, mm. Slainshire. Mm. Mm. I must say, this activates a lot of Irish nationalist pride in me. Um, <laughs> I probably should stop talking right now because... I was going to say, I was going to say, let's not start the troubles again, Marcel. <laughs> Erin Gabra. Yes, no, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, a lovely beautiful. beer. What a beautiful, beautiful beer. It does really taste a lot like Kilkenny to me, and maybe it's just a reference because I've had a lot of Kilkenny in my life, and this does make and I I can't get Kilkenny very easily anymore here in South Africa. Yeah, yeah, true, very true. So this is a very um, good alternative. There are there's no there's no disharmony in this mm -mm. beer whatsoever. None. It's really well put together. I I wish there were like the only thing I miss from a Kilkenny is that isn't in this is that creaminess. Mm. That silky, silky mouthfeel. That silky mouthfeel, yeah. which this doesn't have. This is a little bit more watery. Yeah. But the flavor is about, mm. is out of this world. Out of this world. It's got the nice caramel malts um, balanced mm. out nicely by very subtle hopping. 
probably, and I mean, we don't even say probably. They tell you what they've got. They've got a lot of EKG in here. Yeah, East go have a look. Go have a look East, at the label. Eastkin Goldings, which is your noble hop. So soft, subtle hops, herbaceous, earthy hops, which just does this whole multiple justice. And I've, I mean, Irish red ales are kind of popular in South Africa. There are quite a few brewers who do them, but none of them have done it as well as these. You can you can put this in front of a hardcore Irish ale connoisseur, and they will they will appreciate it. Yeah, the 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 thing that Kilkenny misses that this has is there's a there's a complexity in the flavors. Oh yeah, you know Kilkenny, Kilkenny is very monotone. One one note, you know. Yeah. And this there's the, the, yes there's maltiness, mm. yes there's hoppiness, yes there's sweetness, and you taste all of them at different times. But as you swallow it, they yes. all you know, meld mm. into one. It's a beautiful It's, it's got beer. much more depth than a Kilkenny. Absolutely, you're right. I mean, Kilkenny seems to almost sometimes be a little bit too one note, um, where this has depth. It's got, I mean, one of the, the parts of the depth I'm picking up on, which I don't find in Kilkenny, is a slightly sugary, caramelly yes. aftertaste. Yeah, there's a, I don't know what it is. It's almost like a glazed fruit. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting uh, it. Glazed fruit. You know, a glazed fruit aftertaste where there's a bitterness and a mm. sweetness. It's uh, glazed it's cherry. Delicious. I mean, if you had to glaze glazed some, cherry. some cherries, glazed cherry, exactly. That's what are they, yeah. You put them on. You put them on desserts. Glass mm. cherries. Yeah, like that's your exactly maraschino kind of cherry. That's it. That's mm. it. Mm. It's a lovely beer. That is delicious. Again, you know, beer the brew knocks it out the park. Holy shit! What a beer! These guys can't really do bad beer. I must say, I couldn't wait to drink this beer, so mm. I didn't. No, I know that. So I, I, <laughs> this is not so my first taste. Yeah, I opened one last mm. week, and I was like, and I think I'm more impressed today than I was last week. because You're right. I mean, last week when I tasted it, I, I think my brain just went, this is Kilkenny. Yeah. Well done, you did yeah. Kilkenny. But now I'm tasting it again, and it is better than Kilkenny, for sure. Mm. It finishes so nice and dry. It doesn't sit on your tongue. This, this just is inviting yeah. the next taste, you know? I mean, I would say if I had to summarize this beer based on our previous tastings, I would say this is this beer is to Irish ale or to Kilkenny as as things like S.A. Paul's is to mass-produced lager, right? Yeah, exactly. Or, exactly. or Tomakazi lager for that matter. Exactly. It just goes that extra step to something that you know mm. that makes it better. Mm. This is a, a this is a, a literal pot of gold. Mm. A pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Oh, to be sure. Oh. Me to be sure, to be sure. Sodom and Gomorrah. I am totally going to be excommunicated by my Irish <laughs> so, brethren. I was, I was, I was going to say, just as you feel about the Germans, that's how I feel about the Irish now. Yeah. They're going to come to my house and See, but the Irish are not finish like me that, off. Man. The Irish are not like you know. No, that's true. No. I've met a nice person and he seemed nice. Exactly. Uh, mm. So, yeah, wonderful beer. Oh. What a great experience. I mean, it, in some mm. ways, this for me... It's an experience, though. This is a beautiful, beautiful experience. True. And in a way, it, it this is my accompaniment beer to our show because as our movies are sort of like comfort food movies, this for me is a comfort food beer. So, on that, on that topic, let me tell you why Murphy's... Red is mm. my favorite beer Please of all do. time. Please do. So we were in Spain back in just after two, mm. th- just after nine eleven, mm. just after the plane set of nine eleven. We went on holiday to Spain, right? Which just shows 
the unerring excellence of our timing. Absolutely. Um, that we were getting on planes directly after a massive terrorist mm. event in planes. Um, and everything was closed, you know, like they'd shut down airspace. Mm. You know, there was no, no one was flying anywhere. And we arrived in, um, on the Costa del Sol in Spain. And these guys, you know, we were the first tourist they'd seen in two weeks. Mm. And they, they were just plying us with alcohol. Right. And, and obviously on the Costa del Sol, it's got a very big expat contingent. Mm. And they obviously get every beer that the UK has to make. Mm. And after a very, very hot day by the pool, the, the incredibly Spanish barman who didn't speak a word of English except saying Johannesburgo <laughs> as the place I came from. Right. And then asked me if I was sleeping with my brother, which was also very nice of him. Nice. Um, he, he said, yeah, drink this. And he mm. gave us a, a, a Murphy's Irish cherry red. Mm. And it was just the most fundamentally beautiful beer I'd ever oh, had wonderful in my story. entire life. I've got a similar story with Murphy's, actually, and not many years after. I think about two or three years after your story. I I fell in love with Murphy's Irish Stout in a, a hotel pub in Liverpool. Um, and I was there for a, a conference I was attending. And it was quite an extraordinary experience. So at the time, that was around about the time when the troubles were coming to an end. And yes. a lot of the – there was a lot of peace talks and, and people were finally feeling some hope about that whole situation. And I met up with – an Irish delegation from Northern Ireland who were part oh, of shit. who were part of the Sinn Fein political party. Um, yes. And they were visiting Liverpool on some sort of cultural uh, exchange or some sort of program they were all part of. Because Liverpool is quite Irish in some ways. It's quite north, close to the channel. And for yeah. some reason, my experience in Liverpool was that there were an awfully large number of, of Irish people there. Irish people, yeah. Um, and so I ended up having Murphy's Irish Stout with this delegation, as one does when you're, you know, a, a solitary resident of a hotel. And and once they found out I had Irish ancestry, of course, that was all she wrote. Um, now, yeah, now you're in. Now and you're so, in. so my abiding memory of Liverpool, other than the conference I attended, and vague memories of presenting a paper was was getting incredibly uh, shit faced with some Sinn Fein guys in in a Liverpool pub. That that's also a fucking great story, by the way. Also, any story that ends with you getting shit faced with Irish people in a Liverpool pub, mm. that's a that's a great story. Yeah, and I think it was a hopeful time. It was a time when people started wanting to put away the animosity and the hatred and stuff. So it was a kind of that's better than my story where the Spanish guy just said, Johannes Burgo, you sleep with your brother? You, you I'm like not it? sure about that, man. That's a pretty good one. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. All right, we're doing, we're doing two beers on the trot, and I'm just, I'm just, just finishing this delicious. Yes, we're now at the stage of the show, dear listeners. Nitro Leprechaun. That we are now going to go into utter degradation. And yeah, to quote a character from a movie we just said is that, uh, I haven't begun to defile myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Val. Oh, oh Val. Val. Oh, Val. Val. So what's what's next on our list? Next Not is all. a retasting. So not retasting. It's a new tasting of a new rendition of an existing beer mm. on our leaderboard. Mm. So mm. fans of the show will know that we've mostly been doing that with Jack Black's Fresh Hop, which is a yearly fresh uh, Yeah, an thing. annual. This one is a little different in the sense that, that I know for a fact that they've changed the recipe of this beer from the one we tasted. And and that is, um, I beg your pardon, that is Frontier Brewing Company. 
here from Joburg. And they are redoing their Karma Citra IPA. Mm. So the main which, uh, which which scored high relatively highly last time we tasted it. It's no slouch. Um did not about three years ago, I think. Was number twelve. Number twelve on our leaderboard at the moment. Seven point five average. Yeah. Seven point five average. And that was a bottled version of this one, which we're now gonna have in the can. And the main difference in Karma Citra now is they're using cryo hops. So for those of you who don't know, cryops is a new way of rendering hops. Um and they use very cold temperatures to sort of concentrate the the resins and the oils of the hop to make them even more bitter, even more flavorful. So, look, it's mostly economic. The the reasoning behind cryo hops is that you you get more bang for your buck, as it were. And I think probably in response to what has been happening in the last couple of years is hop crises around the world, where hop, yeah. hop crops have been failing because of various um, unseasonable weather. Hashtag climate change is real. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, also just not enough hops to go around. I mean, the craft brewing industry in the world has just exploded. Um, and so they're just, the hop farmers are not able to keep up with the demand. Um, and so cryops was one pretty cool scientific solution to that, where you use very cold filtration processes and so on to concentrate the flavors of the hop so that you can get more for less. Um, yeah, you don't have to use as much of the hops. Obviously not uncontroversial, as you might imagine. Um, some people claim that cryops remove some of the subtleties of the flavor. Some say that it, it really just sort of, you know, doesn't do the hop justice, et cetera, et cetera. I have absolutely no horse in this race. Um, and certainly some homebrewers have, have used cryops now as well for the same reason. It's just cheap. Um, yeah, look, I don't really care how they get about it as long as they can pack the flavor into the beer. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, I just want to say something, myself. Before the pour, I want to tell you that I think that this can is one of the most beautiful craft beer cans I've ever seen. I think it is stunningly done. So we're not talking about, about uh, Karma Citra, obviously. Oh, yes, Karma Citra. Karma Citra. It okay. is just That's no faint so, praise, Matt. Jesus. It is. No, it's lovely. It is so lovely. It's, it, 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 there's the iconography is... I, there's a. I mean, I don't know if you've looked at the actual. Oh yes, you know, I've looked very carefully at it. I'm, I'm taking notes <laughs> as we speak. It's 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 from the Kama Sutra, but they've made them so that they're holding mm. like hops fronds, and it's. No, this is not brilliant. a. This is not a copy and paste from an internet it image is, of Kama Sutra images. The illustrations are phenomenal. It's a, it's a, it's the Kama Sutra, but they're holding beer mm. in its various forms, and it is brilliant. And it's embossed. It's not right up front. It's like. It's in the background. You kind yeah. of have to look at it. It is so well done. It's a beautiful can. It's beautifully done. Yes. I think actually this is, is, I mean, I, I I remember having debates with brewers a number of years ago when a lot of breweries, I'm thinking specifically now of a few in the Cape and so on, who rebranded because they suddenly came on this idea in branding that, you know, it's fine to have a nicely illustrated label with lots of detail, but when someone is walking into a liquor store, for instance, they want to see a bright color and a, you know, a big lettering or something. And well, I mean, this, but, but I mean, this defeats both those things because 100%. Yeah. this Spot is on. a bright, beautiful mm. lime, yellow, green label that off the bat, you can see the name of the beer is Karma Citra. You can see the style of the beer is an IPA. You can see the, the brewery is Francia Beer uh, Company. Yeah. And then, then take a little time, look at the label 
Have a look at what's there. And this detail is what grabs you. Holy shit. I want to buy the beer from a group of people that took the time to Photoshop hops into yeah. this woman's hands and she's getting plowed from behind by this <laughs> other guy. As you want to see. You know, a lot of plowing. And that's, that's, there's a lot of plowing going on in this fucking label. There are yeah. dudes fucking the shit out of checks. And I like that. I mm. lo- I, it's a beautiful label. I, I cannot praise it mm. enough. It's lovely, and and I think that again, it shows that you don't have to have an either or mentality when it comes to beer branding. It doesn't have to be either big lettering, iconic, easy to spot versus small, illustrative, you know, detail. Yeah, yeah. Their, their graphic designer is on point. Their, their their graphic designer knows what they're doing. They've used a beautiful font for their for their label. Um, they've you know, there's a there's a, there's beer geekery stuff, and there is not beer geekery mm. stuff, and it's well placed. It's yeah. readable. Could be a, it's, and, and they do tell you the hops they're using. They're saying, look out for Amarillo, Mosaic, mm, and mm, Citra hops, which mm, is great. Mm, yeah. All right. So let's pour this. Get some Foley. Hell oh, yeah. That Foley, that Foley almost damaged my laptop. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some double Foley here. Ooh, this is very carbonated. Wowee. Okay. Look, I mean, cans do generally preserve carbonation better um, than any kind of bottle. Which is, you know, why brewers are moving towards cans. So, Karma Citra, man. Wow. Okay, I might have been a bit aggressive with that pour. <laughs> Matt's being aggressive with his pours. I am being less so. No. Okay. Well, you you tell me. You you get some aroma off this because I I'm can't gonna, smell yeah. anything. So so looks wise uh, until this goes down. Definitely kind of golden amber. Um, nice mm. head retention. Nice head. A lot ahead. Right off the bat. You know, <laughs> that, that might just be me. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, there is good head here. And and aroma-wise, very citra-forward, um, as the name suggests. So the citra hop, known for its sort of lemongrass and lemon um, type of flavors and aroma. So I'm I'm definitely picking up a lot of that. Mm. With mm. a fair no, amount of malt well. backbone, but, but definitely citra-forward. I, I wouldn't say I'm picking up a whole bunch of the... Yeah, the hops, maybe a bit of mosaic. So mosaic is known for a bit of stone fruit type of flavors. So apricot is there as well. That lemongrass is very forward. Very forward. But you, very I mean, forward. if you're going to call oh. your IPA Kama Citra, you're making a no, statement. Sure. You know, you're making a sure. statement. Uh, you're not sure. You better, you better back it up. Mm. So already it's promising good things. Whether it is better than the original is yet to be determined. Okay, should we? Should we? Mine, mine has settled to a point where I could probably put some in my mouth. <laughs> you've, you've, re- you've wiped off most <laughs> of the liquid off your laptop. Yeah, yeah, I, I did a number on this poor carbon citra. Very, it is pretty carbonated. I'll give you that. I mean, it, it mm. maybe to the point of being slightly more carbonated than I would like. Big bubbles. Big um, bubbles. But, hmm. Lasting impression here is of citra hops, very lemony, uh, very lemon grass, and quite bitter. I mean, a nice rounded bit of flavor, which I think is coming from the good balance between the hops and the malts. And I would imagine that they're using quite a generous amount of caramel, uh, maybe Munich or Vienna type of uh, kiln malts to balance out the bitterness. So it's not just a pale malt kind of IPA. There's definitely some... Speciality malts, or like I said, Vienna or Munich, um, kilned, 
very nice balance. Because of the carbonation, there's almost zero aftertaste. Yeah, it just kind of disappears. Mm. It's quite dry, though. It finishes dry, which for me is always a sign of a quality beer. Yeah, I must say, for me, that lemongrass is very forward. Mm. Um, it does finish very clean. It's nice and very clean nice finish. and dry. Nice and dry. It finishes um, almost as clean as a lager. There's almost no yeah. aftertaste, which is kind yeah, of Yeah, there's weird. almost nothing there, yeah. Um, I am a little disappointed because I expected a bit more of the IPA in this. Um, mm. there is, I'm not getting a lot of bitterness. Besides that pithy lemon bitterness, mm. I'm not getting a lot of hops bitterness. If that yeah. makes sense. Which um, is interesting, given that they can't, they did clearly use cryo-hopping. So you would expect a more robust bitterness. But maybe, and I guess that is the problem with using these sort of highly concentrated hops like cryo-hops, is that you your normal ratios, your normal way of constructing recipes... Are, yeah, are different, too. Yeah. Different, right? So you might be tempted to use far less hops than you normally would have. And now maybe you're under, uh, you know, undershooting the, the target. I, I, th I look, I agree with you, Marcel, that this is a really well balanced beer. Very much so. Um, I, I'm, I, I must say, I'm disappointed in the level of bitterness in terms of the, of the hops. I really, really expected a little mm. bit more crunch and density to it than this. I um, think it's, it's a little bit underhopped. It's the, I think the carbonation mm. is playing a big role here. I think the carbonation is washing away the bitterness too rapidly, and so you, you're not picking up. On, I, I think if you leave this beer for a while to to uncarbonate a little, you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna get be better. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The bitterness that I'm picking up right now with the carbonation as strong as it is, is that is that lemon pith bitterness, yeah. which isn't really what I was. I mean, I understand where they're going with the citrus, you know, aspect of it, mm. but I mean, an IPA is still an IPA, yeah. and you need that crunch to it before you know. That's what I'm looking for. Mm. Um, so mm, yeah, yeah, not not quite what we want. I mean, to we me, say no, that, but it's not a bad me, beer. No, it's a nice beer. It's, it's a no nice flaws. Beer. I mean, a, let's just get that straight to no, all the listeners. There's no, no, no flaws no, in this no, beer. No, 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 no. But I would say beer. I actually prefer the it's original. Just, that's what I was going to say mm -hmm. as well. I I don't think this hits the mark, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm going to give it. a I'm not going to give it a low rating, but I'm not going to give it a very high rating either. So shall I lead off? Yeah, why don't you lead off? I'm going to give I'm it. A a, I'm going to give it a six point two five. Yeah, I'm going to go six point five. Cool. Yeah, I'm. That's it. It feels like a missed opportunity, mm. right? Um, because I can. It's all there, and as you can, as you said, like the balance is perfect. Yeah. Perfect. 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 There's nothing overwhelming here. And that bitterness that I'm tasting is not the bitterness that I actually want from this beer. Yeah. Um, I th the, the citrus is supposed to complement mm. it, not be the front runner. And I think our philosophy when reviewing these beers is not, you know, you could make, and I think I have made the argument that if you leave this beer a little bit to sit and warm up, it probably is going to be a better beer. But that's not the point, mm. you know, like. You know, you've got to take the beer as it comes out the fridge and yeah. as you pour it. And we can't, like, you know, change our ratings because, you know, if you leave this for half an hour and then, you know, yeah. uh, that's not how it works, you know. Yeah. You see, I'm reading their label, Marcel, and they talk about the layers of tropical stone fruit and citrus. Mm. And the, the, the stone fruit is almost 
indistinguishable. Yeah. It's very much in the aroma only, I think. Yeah. And that's been lost in the, in the, the cryo hopping, I think, is that element of the flavor. Yeah. And, 100% and agree. If, if I remember correctly, in our, in our review for the original uh, Karma Citra, I think that was actually a very, very vital component of the flavor. Mm. Was, mm. Um, yeah. was you could get that nectarine, peachy, 100%. stone fruit flavor. And that is really what and, you get from mosaic, yeah? Yes, Absolutely. And I'm I'm not getting it yet. I don't know about you, but I'm not getting it at all. And I'm not, I'm getting zero amarillo. Amarillo is totally lost for me. I mean, amarillo is very no. floral. Yeah. And I'm not getting that. Yeah, I'm not getting that at mm. all. That 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 lemongrass. Look, I think they're probably you know, using amarillo for the bittering, which which yeah. because of the three, amarillo's got the highest alpha acid. No. So they're probably and then you won't get the amarillo flavor if you're using it only for bittering. Mm. Having said that, it's, yeah. it's hardly at the bottom of the list. Not even, not even close, dude. No, I think it's what it's a it's a point down from the from the last one. A couple of points. It's, it's going to end up in the lower middle of the list, I think. Because I mean, at the same, it's still a really well balanced beer. It's, mm, a, it's a competent right? brewing, and and what I what I do think is one of my criteria is if I had to give this to someone who doesn't know anything about beer, who I'm introducing to craft beer, and I say this is an IPA, would they would that be a good idea? You know, like for. Yeah. Like, would I be doing any damage? And I and the answer is yeah. definitely no. This would be yeah. a good rendition of an IPA. I would give this to someone and say, "This is an IPA," and they would drink it and go, "Okay, now I get it." No, yeah. you know. Well, they, they might they might say it's a little bit lemony. Mm. It's a little, you know, it's a it's not a bad beer. It's just mm. yeah, it's a it's a missed opportunity. I just feel that this could have been a great beer and it could have been better than the original Karma Citra. I was if hoping it was going to be, but it, it turned out it didn't do that. They just got to push that hops up. That's it. Yeah. That's all they need. It's just a bit more hops and then balance it. Okay, man. So we've done two beers. Let's do two movies. Let's be radical. Uh, can I do three? You can do. Let's do three movies. We've got such a. I know you and I have lists as long. No, we got, I've got an enormous list. Yeah. But I'm going to pick an. As I'm long as my arm. I wish it was as long as something else. <laughs> I'm going to pick a trilogy. Oh God, fine. But I'm going to. Does it I'm have Mel Gibson a, in? No, it doesn't. Okay, but it does have Marty McFly. Oh hell yeah! Back, Back to the Future trilogy. Ah, any, any film of mm. which you can sit down and go, oh, he's about to do this. You right. know, they're they're about to find the almanac. I don't XXX, have that you know? in my list, but I'm coming. I'm sorry that I didn't think of it. Back to the Future is infinitely rewatchable at any point in time. The you know the only one of the three that I get annoyed if I miss part of it mm. is the third one. Because, you know, you want to see that whole character narr- narrative change right. with Doc. And he's like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. And he has to... Uh, they're all the same movies. They're just in three mm. different fucking times. But the last one's the only one that, that resolves itself. Yeah. And that's what I love about it, you know? Gotcha. Um, back, to, back to the Future... Great actors. I mean, we all know Back to the Future. Why, why, I don't have to go into detail about this. This no, is I Back to the Future. Is, uh, pretty well known. I'm going to do a trilogy yeah. of sci-fi movies, given that you've opened the door. So oh. I'm going to stroll right through. Um, oh, okay. But uh, does that trilogy... No, it's like, not an actual okay, trilogy. No. There's three sci-fi movies I like. I'm just wondering if the third one is the third one that I think is the third one. What are you talking about? Anyway. Go. Uh, you tell me. No, they're unrelated, right? So these are three independent sci-fi movies. Oh, so not a trilogy, just no, a trilogy in your mind. Three movies. A trilogy in your head. Well, I guess a trilogy in my head, I don't know what I'm going to do. 
All right, all right, tell me. Tell me, what's this trilogy in your mind? So I've got your mind trilogy. My mind trilogy is Aliens. Yeah. Okay, the second one. Predator, which is also about a predatory alien. Yeah. And Return of the Jedi. That's a very strange trilogy. And yet, somehow, they just work. I mean, they, they sort of represent different different aspects of sci-fi for me. You know, Aliens is sort of the the monster movie. Predator yeah. is a military rendition of that. And and Return of the Jedi is just sort of like Indiana Jones in space. Okay. Okay. Look, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm still not sure I'm getting how we're grouping this together but I will say that all three of those are infinitely rewatchable mm. I mean of, of the three I would actually argue that Predator is the most rewatchable yes that, that is I a movie I can you. not stop watching I mean it's just compelling sure and again at any point in time you can join that film and go oh shit oh shit this mm. is where he blows up the ship you know <laughs> like this is a exactly. this is a thing it's, yeah so I agree they are tenuously connected if at all but um, I've got such a long list that I think I, I may as well, just for economy's sake, include these three into my next uh, choice. Did you know, in Predator, did you know that Jean-Claude Van Damme yes. was originally cast yes. as the actual Predator? Yes. yes. And, then was, and then was fired for two reasons. Number one is he couldn't work in the ludicrous suit that they'd given yeah. him. With, and number two was because he's five foot nine. Mm. And... Schwarzenegger is like six foot two. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think there are very few trivia elements of this movie I'm not aware of. Uh, Peter, other than Heat, I would say if I put a second most watched movie on my list, it would be better. It's it's a movie. After I, Heat. Yeah, yeah. It's a movie I just love rewatching. I just dig it. You know, it's it's a silly movie in many ways, but it's it works. So, tell me, what's your favorite scene from Predator? Favorite scene of Predator is... Yeah. Hmm, that's a good one. I think there are a couple. I mean, I think my favorite, favorite scene is right in the beginning. Where... Um, there's a couple. No, it's difficult. You're asking me a very difficult question right now. So, um, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you mine. I'll yeah, tell you mine. Do, where, where, where Jesse Ventura, who's, who plays Blaine... Mm. And and he's got that minigun. Yeah, he's got the minigun. And I Old think painless. that was I, I think that, that was for us the first time mm. we'd ever seen a minigun oh, on yeah. film. No, for right? sure. Like we didn't know such things existed. Certainly first man portable yeah. minigun, which is not a real thing, yes. but yeah. Well, it is if you're Arnold Schwarzenegger or Jesse Ventura. No, you really can't. You can't you can't shoot those things. But anyway. And and the, and, the, and the first time that he mows down basically an entire <laughs> section of jungle. <laughs> yeah. That scene where they mow down the jungle, yeah. Like that, that scene where he cuts down the jungle and he turns mm. it into a savannah, you know, is just, it's like, oh my God, this is why we made action films. Mm. So we could see bullets tear shit apart. It's the most, it's amazing. And Jesse Ventura, just, you can see the glee on his face as yeah. he's just pouring round after round into this innocent mm. forest. It's brilliant. It's my, my favorite my favorite, my favorite scene in the movie is where, uh, you know, Billy, who who's played by a, a Native American guy, um, and and he's like freaked out by what he's seeing, 
And so Pancho asks, you know, Billy, what's going on, right? And and Billy says, you know, the, you know, I know I'm afraid, Pancho. And then Pancho says to Billy, Bullshit. You ain't afraid of no man. There's something out there waiting for us. And it ain't no man. We're all gonna die. Oh, that's good. That's and- sick. And that's, that's like uh, ne- okay. what's nice about that line is that I've never seen an action movie where the action stars are actually going to die. Like they're afraid they're going to die. They're proper terrified. Yeah, they're proper terrified. Like 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 you used to movies like Commando and and eighties action movies where the hero is basically invulnerable and you know it. Yeah, he's not yeah. afraid of nothing. You know. That's that's also why you love aliens so much because those guys are like yeah. chicken shit. They're like holy fuck. Everything is going to kill mm. us all the time. We're going to die yeah. right now. I mean, the worst part of the ego sort of action movies, which which had Wesley Snipes and, and Stallone and Steven Seagal in it, where... There was no peril. There was no peril. Not only that, but you knew for a fact that in their rider, these actors had somewhere in the mm. movie, the bad guy has yeah. to talk about how afraid he is of the, the star. Yeah. Like in yeah. those sort of movies, somewhere along the line, the bad guy is going like, oh, fuck, we're fucked because this guy is out to get us, you know? Absolutely. It's like, it's a John Wick school of thought where it's kind of like, yeah. you don't know who John Wick exactly. is? He killed 20 people with a pencil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the Baba Yaga, you know? It's and like I, a, I hate a, that part of a movie. I, I like the idea where, like, compared to where all these badasses are going, yeah. we're all going to die, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the, I don't know if you can relate this to computer games, but, you, you know, if you've ever played Morrowind or Oblivion or Skyrim mm. or any of those games... You know, in Morrowind, you were just like some dude who rocked <laughs> up and then just happened to kill a whole bunch of gods. Yeah. And then in Oblivion, like literally the game starts and 12 minutes later, they're like, oh, you're going to save the world. Oh, that's great. Mm. And it's kind of like, well, you remove a lot of the every man from that. You know, you. Well, I think it's the, something the, which started in Lord of the Rings, right? Lord of the Rings worked because they were the heroes of the story were hobbits who didn't know anything and were nothing. Yeah. They weren't great people. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And I think they, they lost they a lot destined, of them. Mm. They weren't destined for to defeat the great dark yeah. lord. They were just people doing their jobs. I think that's a you pity. Know, that's, that's, it's a pity that we that's lost why some die, of Absolutely. Die, die Hard, as an example, mm. is such a great yeah. um, uh, example of that because John McClane is just a guy who's in the mm. wrong place at the wrong time. He's out of his depth. All the time. He's out of all his depth. All the time. He's not like the greatest cop ever. Mm. He's not like He's not like a guy who's like yeah. the greatest marksman or understands strategy. We've he's lost a, a lot of that job. Man. We've lost a lot of now, that narrative structure. Now, now every, everything is, he's the chosen one. The he's Matrix the, started gonna, it, didn't it? I'm like, the Matrix is yeah. one of the first ones where you're the, you're the one. Yeah. Well, tell me about aliens, because I also know that you're obsessed with aliens. And well, we had an entire show dedicated to aliens, as you may recall. Just to aliens, yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Need I say more? I mean, Aliens to me is the perfect science fiction movie because it involves a well-realized world which which seems to exist independent of the movie. Yeah. It involves incredibly compelling characters. I like the... I'm a fan more of the dirty sci-fi than the clean sci-fi. Even though I love Star Trek, which is the iconic clean sci-fi world. Um, but we, we all know that actual sci-fi, when we when we reach yeah, the time it's of not sci-fi, gonna be clean. 
it's not going to be clean at all. No. It's going to be people dying of mm. fucking tuberculosis in the yeah, street. It's going to have machinery which you need to knock with a five-pound hammer to get it working. Of course. Of course. That's um, how it works. It's just atmospheric. It's Aliens is a perfect movie to me. I mean, it has no flaw. Um, it is. It's a perfect movie. I mean, there's no single scene in either the release version or the director's cut version of Aliens, which I would cut. Um, so... Perfect. Who's your favorite character in Aliens? Bill Paxton, hands down. Yeah. Hands See, down. I knew that. I, Bill just, Paxton, I just asked I asked for our audience. Yeah, Bill Paxton beats that movie, you know, like by quite a large margin. Then yeah. Ridley, I, I mean, I do love Sigourney Weaver. I think she does no, play she's that amazing. role absolutely perfectly. Um, and then Bishop. I like Bishop. He's got a low-key role, but I think Lance Henriksen plays it really, really well. Um, yeah. Fucking so, androids. And, I mean, Bean, you know, he is the quintessential soldier. In fact, if they ever make... I Yes, yes, a controversial statement, Matt. I wonder if you would agree with me. If they no. ever make a, a movie adaptation of um, that Forever War series. Oh, uh, yes. My, yeah, Michael Bean. Bean might be the guy, you know. Hey, so, my, my question is, has, has Michael Bean ever played a role that isn't a soldier? Yeah, you know, he's a bit typecast. I mean, look, uh, he, he was, you know, in Tombstone, he wasn't a soldier. He was, he was. Um, well, okay, um, uh, he was, uh, he was a outlaw. He was a vigilante. But he was almost like a soldier, even in that role. Well, that's it. So, so is there any? He hasn't played like a military man of some. I think he has been typecast as the military guy. I have to say, that's what he does. Mm. You know, Terminator, Aliens, yeah, yeah. The Abyss. You know, true. He was we were, a Navy SEAL out of control. Absolutely, The Rock. We were talking like literally everything he's in. He has to hold a gun and shoot other people <laughs> and look very professional while doing. doing That's his, yeah, which he does. I mean, mm. like not trying to fuck around on Michael Bedinia. He's amazing when he does it. Yeah, but but holy shit! I mean, can we give him a drama? <laughs> can we? Can we? Can we like let we him cannot. show some nuance? He's in his rider. I will be a soldier. Yeah, yeah. Give me a gun and I'll be fine. Mm. Okay, and your last one. Your last one. Of your trilogy? Return of the Jedi. I mean, it's not my favorite Star Wars movie, but it is a very, it's a light treatment. It's easy to get into. You know, it's got a lot of adventure elements. Yeah. Which I kind yeah, of enjoy. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's a, look, I must tell you, it's a controversial choice because as many have pointed out for the last like 30 years, um, it's like the weakest Star Wars. Uh, well, I mean, we had again a different show. Uh, where we ranked all the Star Wars movies, and I remember quite distinctly that uh, that, that my ranking of uh, Return of the Jedi was far higher than yours. Yeah, true, but I mean, okay, at least out of the original trilogy, it's the it's the weakest, right? Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Yeah, mm. that, and that's why I think this this sort of uh, selection we're making is not about great cinema. I mean, if you want to go for cinematic, no, Empire true. Strikes Back is obviously the best Star Wars ever made. True, but um, along with with maybe uh, you know Rogue One, Rogue One, yeah. Um, those two are cinematically the best Star Wars movies. But for a fun but, time, but it's but it's watchable, yeah, for sure. You know, for sure. I can't really okay. rewatch Rogue One that often. It, it 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 requires more emotional investment than I I want yeah. to invest in this carry, kind of movie. It carries a lot of baggage. Yeah, carries a lot of baggage. Mm. All right, cool. Thank you very much. Good job. Good job. So I do, um, I do ask for forgiveness for my bad trilogy. No, 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 no forgiveness necessary. It's it's not a trilogy, but I'm allowing you to put three into one slot. 
But that kind of almost exhausts my sci-fi selection here, which is weird. It's, I've learned something it about myself, weird. that my comfort you, movies are not sci-fi. That's it. And But normally your favorite films are sci-fi. It's so weird. So weird. Mm. So weird. Maybe, maybe there's something wrong with you, Marcel. I think that's, this is what most people who've known me have maintained for many years. <laughs> <laughs> right. Should we, uh, should we have another beer? I think we should. So my, next... my cooler box is not the the most effective, so my beers are getting warm. Oh man, I have no sympathy for you. Um, no, you don't. No, you don't. So this one is not, in fact, an IPA. So this is not going to be part of our leaderboard. This is a brewery we have not yet reviewed any beers of or ever yes, had that's any. True. That's and true. this is the Hoghouse Brewing Company. Hoghouse so, Brewing. So it is a PA. It's just an IPA. It's a it's a pale ale. It's a, it's they call it an African pale ale. So my guess is it's based on an American pale ale, usually using um, our hops. Also, by the way, African pale ale is something which I think was coined by the um, Jack Black Brewing Company when they did the Cape Pale Ale, which we love. Um, yeah, which is delicious and have reviewed. Um, so my guess is they're using South African hops here. Uh, the Hog House Brewing Company is in Cape Town. In Ndabeni. I get very confused with between Hog House and Brew House and Hog's Head and mm. there's a lot of hog. Yes, going and there's on. Hogwarts, which is a, yes, a brewing a fictional club. school in Scotland. That, oh, right. there's, a, there's a brewing club as well in Johannesburg. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all based on the Hog Head, which is the, the measure of a, a unit of measurement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is this is the hogtail African pale ale. It is indeed the hogtail. Hogtail. It's got, hogtail. It's got an okay. image of a war dog or pumba, as they're also known. Oh uh, yes, there we go. Um, I like it. It's quite nice branding. I, hmm. It's a. It's They've not got a nice seen... like savanna grass uh, barco thing with uh, the yeah. war dog running through it, which is I quite like. It's not often you see the brewery's name much bigger than the actual beer's name. On You're the right. Label. You're right. Is that a sign but of ego, um, man? Is that a sign of ego? Um, I don't know. I look. I mean, I must say that it looks good on the label. It it, it does actually look nice and symmetrical. Mm. It's very um, much a font-based brand, right? There's no real yes, imagery. Here. There's, it's font there's no only. illustration. This is all logo type stuff. But unlike um, the the that brewing company one we reviewed earlier, there's not the they're not breaking the rule of no more than three fonts or two fonts on the on the label. No, and it shows. Got, it shows that it looks better. Yeah. yeah, we've got we've got three in the whole label, mm. from what I can tell. Mm. Um, and it's nicely done. It's nicely composed. There's good spacing. I, I like the color of the label itself. There's like a burnt, do you? burnt orange. Yeah, I do. I'm not a fan it's, of it's this very, color. It's very unique. I, I haven't seen another beer with it, so that's why I like it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's a good kind of unique, but I'll 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 defer <laughs> judgment. <laughs> I no, think I like you're it. you're playing like with fire it. when you go for burnt umber browns. Hmm. Very nice head. Haziness, so head. suggests unfiltered maybe with some dry hopping. Yeah. So as an African pale ale, what do you think, man? If you have to, uh, what's your nose say? Yeah, um, it's relatively close, to be entirely honest. I'm not getting a lot. Hmm. Um... Maybe maybe a little bit of stone fruit, some very um, yeah. Jeez, a little bit of lemon, a little bit of citrus, but not a lot. Mm. 
um, quite a bit of malt. Yeah, that's that's kind of it, eh? There's not a not a whole lot on the nose. Mm. Anything else you're picking up? I, I'm I mostly pick up stone fruit. I mean, it's very apricot um, forward for me. Uh, mm. There's a sweetness to the nose. Uh, I'm picking mm. up sugariness, True. so maybe caramel malt. Some sugary uh, kind of flavors. Um, certainly more sugary than I'm used to. Um, smelling from a, yeah, yeah, or, or rather detecting a, a APA or a pale yeah. ale. Yeah, yeah, but not a lot there. Eh? It's mm. not, not a lot of aroma. No, it's it's uh, it's pretty much what you see is what you get here. What about flavor, man? Ooh. Wow, a lot, a lot more bitter than you would expect from that aroma. Yeah. Oh, ooh, very, very hopsy. Wow, we. Yeah, it's it's certainly more. But I mean, the initial uh, nose for me was almost like a little bit very sugary, um, which would suggest a sweet flavor. But I'm not getting any sweetness off the actual flavor. Hmm. It's a there's a bitterness to it that is kind of a, a bit of a flat bitterness. It's not a, a, a complex bitterness. Um, mm. Oh, wow. This is, this is, I mean, yeah, that's, a, that's quite difficult to work out. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a bit difficult. I mean, like, uh, I don't know. It doesn't quite fit into any comfortable category for me. It's IPA-ish. Hmm. But it, but it's not crunchy enough. It's not. There's not. A, there's no mm. of no. the conventional mm. um, IPA hops flavors in there. I think it, it very much fits into a pale ale of the American style. Um, I would say. I don't think that's too difficult to ascertain. I mean, I think it's hoppy, but it's also got a lot of um, malts. It seems well balanced with the, between the malts and the hops. Yeah. Look, it's very stone fruit heavy, so so my feeling is mm. that it's probably got a lot of hops, which has that flavor. I'm not sure; they don't really say which hops they use. They don't, yeah, they don't say which hops. Yeah, I mean, given that like, they're uh, calling this an African ballad, I would imagine that there's a fair amount of African hops in here. Um, you know what? I, I think that sweetness note might it, it tastes very uh, like pear or marula, like that kind of right, that kind of bitterness sweetness, you know. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm getting a fair amount of that peach, apricot, um, pear. It's a certainly it's a, it's a different kind of beer. Eh? I haven't I can yeah, say I honestly well, I haven't we, tasted anything like this before. Yeah, this is a very very shit. This is quite interesting. Mm. It's it's strange because I'm not sure whether I'm being you know informed by the can or not. Mm. But the, the idea of an African pale ale, if I think about it. This is kind of how I would expect it to taste. Mm. Yeah. You know, like those kind of dark brown stone fruity notes, the bitterness, mm. not a not a hell of a lot of sweetness in it, um, not a lot of carbonation. Well, I think you put your, your finger on it. I think there's, there's marula type of flavors, very African fruit, tropical yeah. stuff, uh, even some mango. Maybe some. I was going to say some mango. Maybe there's a little bit of that mangoey scent to mm. it. I like it. I must say, I think I like it. Uh, it's yeah. taken me a while to realize that, but I think I do like it. Uh, initially, I didn't respond to it that well, but I think that if you 
I mean, this is an African pale ale, maybe. Maybe this is the style. Mm. Maybe we're what we're maybe we're witnessing a new style. True. I, I think the Cape Pale L was was an attempt at that, but I think the Cape Pale L is much more an American Pale L. Yeah. Uh, albeit yeah. an incredibly competent one. Um, this is a little different. Yeah. This I, I'm excited by this myself. It's not. It's quite challenging. Mm. I won't lie. This is not a. It's not a simple beer. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a it's a bit of a testament that it's well blended, it's well mm. balanced. That you know, I'm, I'm not getting any overwhelming flavors. Yeah. But I but when you kind of come to terms with what it is, it feels and you know this might be total bullshit, but it feels very African. It it's does. A, a very earthy. Mm. Um, Look, and I and I I was looking at their website and their menu. They've got a very barbecue kind of menu with like brisket and ribs and, and stuff. And I, I think it was go excellent with that. I could dig that. Yeah, I could absolutely dig that. Mm, mm. I think it's a I great like little this. beer. I like this. I really do. I can't mm. I wasn't I wasn't sure, but I think I've I think I get it now. Yeah. So I mean they I make quite a few it. other beers and I mean it, it all sounds pretty uh, mouth watering. So it's only a brewery to watch. Hogs House Brewery. That is amazing. Are we doing another beer? Are we doing a story? What are we doing here, Marcel? I think we're doing, we're doing another movie here, man. Let's do another movie. One movie. Okay. All right. Is it, is it, is it, it my is turn? It is your turn. Is it what, my turn? What, what's is coming it? up next here for you? So I have a controversial choice. Oh, God. You're not You're not going to like it. Why am I not going to like it? Is it another trilogy? Is it like 10 no, movies in no, one? No, no, no. no, it's not controversial because of its detail. It's controversial because it's a bizarre movie to have on this list. Right. But Go. I'm choosing Magic Mike. Really? Magic Mike. But that movie grabs me in places. <laughs> I didn't even know I had places. Is this part of your ongoing fantasy of being a male stripper, man? It's part of my ongoing struggle with my own sexuality. Let's face it. Right, right. Let's face it. Let's, let's look this straight in the eye and go, Matt doesn't know what he is. But isn't Magic it's, Mike one of those fantasy movies which men respond to because they all want to be adored? by women I'm I, I'm not sure I'm not sure I mean it, it might be true One of those it things. might be true that there's like a that there is a fantastical element to look how I can dance I can put myself in you know Channing Tatum's body mm. and dance like him And but I think there's also like a there's a real sweetness to that film you know like right. there's a real innocence to it that these guys are doing their jobs and although it's a sordid environment None of the people doing it are sorted. They're good. They're good guys. They just <laughs> hang out with people. No, yeah. they are. And I, I know it sounds bizarre coming from me because I'm a horrible person, but it's a very sweet film. It's almost a coming of age film. Mm. You know, this this guy who has worked in nightclubs his entire life, taking his clothes off, who finds love. Mm. You know, in, in a very unexpected way, and. No, I, I I very much love that film, and I think it's a beautifully put together. It's, it's fucking Soderbergh, dude. Steven Soderbergh doesn't fuck around. No, I mean, Magic Mike comes up a lot in, in talks about various movies, and it, it's one of those surprising, you wouldn't expect it to come up with, with you know, other movies of a much higher caliber. Yeah. Um, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. It shouldn't be as good as it is. Yeah. But it is. It's this little slice of life, because it, almost nothing happens. We have to keep that in mind as well. Is nothing happens in this film. They make plans to go down to Florida or something like that and open their own club. But at the end of the day, he meets a girl, he loves a girl, shit happens, and then it's the end of the film. 
You know, there's no big denouement. Yeah. So, so it's a weird film to have on this list, but at the same time, it's a, a, a infinitely watchable. Like, if it's on, I'm watching fucking, I'm watching Joe Manganiello's giant penis on stage. That's what I'll do. <laughs> yeah. No, I haven't really watched. I've watched some of it. I haven't really watched the full movie, and I, I'm now going to revisit that because it sounds intriguing. As a fan of wrestling, Marcel, Big Daddy Cool Diesel is one of the strippers. <laughs> That's all you need to know. All right? He's broken him in half. He's got my God. He's broken him in half. <laughs> okay. Now you've you've all right. me on that one. All right. What's what's your one? My one is uh, already been referenced in this podcast by my opening okay. line to you. Oh, shit. Um, and my next choice is Long Kiss Goodnight. With, uh, Which was on TV Gina Davis two nights and ago. Samuel L. Jackson. Marcel, this was on TV on oh, Friday really? night. I did not know. At half past nine. And guess who came in half an hour in and went, I'm I cannot watch not watch yeah, Long Kiss Goodnight. Isn't that good? Uh, it is amazing. What a great movie. And I mean, it's it features everything I like about a movie. It's got assassins. It's got strong female characters. It's got Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. It's got yeah. some pretty cool tradecraft. It's got Brian Cox. It's got Brian Cox, which is one of his greatest roles. In fact, yeah, he's so good. I watched an interview with Samuel L. Jackson the other day where an interviewer asked him, what is your favorite character you've ever played in a movie? Was it Long Kiss Goodnight? He did not pause. He said, I, I did a little movie called Long Kiss Goodnight where I was this private eye called Mitch Hennessy. And Mitch, is, Mitch Hennessy, yeah. That is my favorite role of all time. That is so cool. And he was great in it. He was so He was. Amazing. I mean, one of the best scenes in the movie is where they have the scene in the car where Gina Davis is with him in the car. And then finally, there's the yeah, scene which yeah. every movie has where the guy tells you his life story. Exactly. And he says, exactly. like, you know, five years ago, I was in Atlanta cop, you know. And he tells a story about his partner and this guy hates him. And he sets it up as a story of him being framed for, you know, a robbery where his brothers in blue come into his house and they find this shit which was, you know, stone from the evidence lock. Yeah, yeah, which is planted, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then, then, then and Gina Davis came and says, you know, you're planted, planted. And then Mitch and says, hell no, I stole the damn things. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know? And his, his, his closing line is like, I've never done one thing right in my life. That takes skill. Dude, he was, so in the original cut of the film that they showed to the test audience, he was supposed to die. Mm. They, they I killed him so, all. Yeah. And, and the test audience was like, no mm. fucking way. Yeah, this guy's got to Not, live. This guy has to live. And there's that he's, he's, uh, the the scene in the movie which I got the line from, which I started the show with, is where Larry King, actual Larry King, interviews him. That's right. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Gina Davis sets it up that the president actually mentions him by name in dealing that's with right. this shit. Because that was yeah, that could, exactly yeah yeah. So my, because my favorite is, I mean, it's the it's the turning point of the film. Yeah. But when she's on on that water wheel. Mm. And they're and they're drowning her. Let you touch her, me, cowboy. I think I need a. That's bath. right. And then and Hell then she yeah. she fi- she finds the gun and she kills him yeah. while she's stuck on the. Oh my god! Like, was there anyone sexier than Gina Davis in the nineties? Was there anyone sexier than her? She is just the best. I mean, and she is a badass. She was scorchingly hot mm. and a badass, and she murdered fucking everyone. I mean, I love the was, way that 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 that. Samuel Jackson actually takes a step back from his normal roles as the badass and lets yeah, let her, let her be the badass. Absolutely. Just does her thing, you know? I mean, Absolutely, yeah. And there's a real shaft in Africa scene 
in that very same, very much the next scene from the one you describe in that farmhouse. Yeah, yeah. Where he's yeah. lying naked in the basement and he's fucked That's up. That's right. And he's super That's afraid. That's right. And I just, That's right. you just, I mean, immediately the Shaft in Africa movie comes to mind. Comes straight to mind, yeah. And, and she's shooting and they're shooting her and he's shitting himself and then she's like, the door opens and she's there with her guns and shit, you know, saving his ass. I mean, it's just an she's, amazing movie. There, there was like no better time for Gina Davis yeah. than there was like during those mid eighties, you know. Yeah, she was just kicking ass all over the place. But but she Long was, Kiss Goodnight for me is an incredibly good movie. I mean, it yeah, it's it's an adventure film in the same way as many of the adventure films out there during that time was in the sense that it was fun above logic. But yeah. but actually, I mean, as an aficionado of spy, you know, movies, espionage history, and other things like that, it actually has some really accurate tradecraft in as well, which which satisfies the sort of spy nerd in me. Yeah, the spy anorak. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and Brian Cox's character very much plays up to that. He does it a lot as well. Brian Cox is so good at playing that mysterious back office. <sighs> you know the, you know, yeah. he, I, I Black think he did ops it in um, operator. Yeah, exactly. He, yeah. did, he did it in um, in the the Bourne film. Oh, he did. He did very much so. Where he was like, you know, no, Treadstone's dead. Treadstone's yeah, yeah, dead. Yeah, yeah. But like in the meantime, he's just like this operator. Yeah. You know, he's so. And good there's some that. good, and he plays comedy really well because he's understated. Like very the, the one scene where he he accosts Samuel Jackson's character, and he's like, you know, how do you find me? And then Sam uh, Cox's character says like. There may be many reasons not to kill you, but among them is not that you'll be missed by NASA. I found the address in your coat. Here, between the address of a topless bar and the picture of what looks like a man's penis. That's a duck, not a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he's he's so good, dude. Brian Cox is the man. He is. So that's a movie I cannot stop watching. Good pick. Good pick, cool great pick. pick actually. That was that was on my list, by the way. Nice. So one. that gets scratched off. Cool. All right, another beer. Another beer. Sean. Which is going to be another IPA, I think. So I'm wondering which which are you choosing because there's one that I've had before that I like, and there's one that I haven't had before that I'm very very excited. So about. this one is one you haven't had before. So this is the. Ah. This is full disclosure. This is a beer created in part by a publication which I write for. Um, and that sure, is, that's a that's a tenuous link, myself. Yes. So it's on Tap Magazine, which is the only magazine dedicated to the beer and craft beer market in South Africa. And um, they they teamed up with the chaps from Folk and Good Brewing Company to create a beer called "I Want It That Way." I want it that way. Exactly. We could do a boy band, man. Well, one of us could. Yes. Oh! <laughs> Sick burn. I hope you felt that on your I side of the felt fucking it. microphone. Burn. God, that was so hot. And so this, it's a, yes. it's a very cool concept. I love it. Yeah. I love the labeling. I love the idea of it. I love everything about it. And I even point out some of the people involved. So Lucy, Lucy Cornet, who's the editor-in-chief yeah. of On Tap Magazine, Fraser, and Andrew. And so, yeah, so these are, it's a West Coast IPA, and um, it's, it's dedicated to 90s nostalgia, which anyone of our age would, would feel very much gravitated towards. 
Yeah. And as I said, full disclosure, I write a regular column in Homebrewing on, on Tab Magazine. But I do say, I can say with some certainty, that I was not involved in the recipe formulation or brewing of this beer. In fact, it took me by surprise, and I felt a little bit insulted that I wasn't involved. Yeah, that you weren't, um, yeah, you weren't included. Yeah, but I'll get over it. Um, I, yeah, also, I don't think you get money every time your magazine makes a beer. Right? I think you'll be okay. Yeah, no, not at all. But I think Despite it's your cool. horrible contract. Yeah, it's a, it's it's so cool. It's such a cool label. Um, the it's just very it's well put together. And the ingredients is nice. It says water, malted barley, yeast, and a load of cascade load hops. of cascade added while yeah. dancing in formation boy band style. Yeah, it's like a very nineties color scheme, blue pink. Yeah, it's very retro, very vaporwave. Mm. It's very cool. It's very much what you would expect to see in a video with. Uh, so shall we? It's, it's a, yeah, let's let's drink it because I, I this, can't. This sucker. I'm I'm not able to properly critique this label. It's so good. I just love it. Look, this is firmly tongue in cheek in the sense that that I guess in the same way as the the leprechaun beer was we had earlier, that yeah, it already uh, invites you to not not take it seriously. Hectic head. I Lots of carbonation. I poured my beer like an absolute amateur, so I can no longer yeah, drink it. I did exactly the same. I'm actually wiping down my of my computer so like listeners now. just ignore the sounds of agonizing electrocuted yeah. pain which Matt's about to uh, yeah I've, I've made some mistakes in my life <laughs> alright so what does this thing smell like it's very clear I mean appearance wise very clear so it has been either filtered or filtered yeah not a lot of uh, dry hopping going on very berry I'm also getting berries. I'm I'm getting like mixed berries, blackberries and raspberries mm. and raspberry, strawberry, blackberry. It's sort of like a berry yeah. compote, if you like. Yes, that's exactly right. A berry that's jus. Exactly right. Getting very nice. foody. It's not, it's not it's not unpleasant at all. It's not at all. And the, the, this head is retaining very well. I must say, good green. Mm, good retention, crisp, rocky head. You can read through this beer. And I would say it is a. The golden color, very much on point golden. Yeah, some tropical notes as well, mm. like pine, pineapple-y kind of. Very much pineapple. So I would say pineapple plus berry. So it's a fruit salad, right? It's a very tropical fruit mm. salad um, mm. aroma. Very, very pleasant. This head is incredible. This is like just not going anywhere. And absolutely clean. Clean tropical flavors, no... Um, no diacetyl, no, no acetyl no, 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 no flaws, no EMS. Very clean. Oh, oh, that's delicious. Mmm, 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 mmm. Now that is pretty damn good. I mean, I, I love the berry flavors of it. Actually, that's the one thing. It's like a stands out. I think it might be. It's like a black currant. I think that's the yeah, flavor. Yeah, black currant. Black currant. That's the flavor. It's like that. Almost. It's so mm. sweet. It's bitter. Interesting flavor. because Cascade doesn't generally generally release a lot of black currant. I mean, that's more. Uh, Nelson Savar mosaic type of hops, which may may well have been in in this beer. Oh, oh, there's a there's a density to it. It's oh, like a rotting fruit, you know. But like not a bad, no, sure. not a bad rotting fruit. Like, but you know what I mean. Like when you know you've left it in the fridge too long and you cut it and it's almost squishy. And then yeah. it's stewy. It's, it's stewy, exactly. Mm. No, for sure, and I, I think that's because I think. I would guess they added a lot of hops throughout the whole brewing process. 
Um, so not just late hopping, which we've created a more fresh flavor. Um, so there's there's a, a kind of a classical hopping schedule here uh, for me. But certainly as a West Coast IPA, which is what they're calling yeah. it, West Coast IPA very much hop forward, low, yeah. low malt, so. light malt. Um, but but there is some malt. No, there sure. Is some malt. But it's all the backbone. It's pale malt or pilsner malt yeah. with a little bit of caramel malt. Yeah, I'm still solid, getting a lot solid, of that. Solid, oh, A lot of the kind of floral pineapple. It's very floral. Yeah, very floral. So, so I'm not sure they only use Cascadia. I mean, they don't. They don't claim to be in a single hop. And I would. I would guess there is a bit of Amarillo here, and there's maybe a little bit of Mosaic or Nelson Sauvage. They don't mention that. Eh? They don't really say. Um, but what a great little beer. Loads of. Well, loads of Cascade. The funny thing is, the one thing I'm not getting that I would normally get from Cascade is that danky grapefruit. Yeah. And that is not really present. Mm. They've they've got all the subtle flavors out of Cascade without getting the major flavor out of Cascade, which is that 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 that, that dank. Yeah. Oh, you're quite right. Um it's a it's a very drinkable flavorsome IPA. So I've got a rating in, in mind for our IPA leaderboard. Shall I go? Yeah, I think I might also. Yeah, you go. I'm you giving go. it a 7.75. Okay, I'm going to give it an 8. Good one. Yeah. 8.00. Yeah. No, it's it's well worth it. And I think it puts it up in the higher echelon of our rating. Uh, it deserves to be. It's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So very, very, very pleasant beer. I can actually, I can smell the kind of tropical notes from here and the, the beers next to me on the table. Yeah. It's actually quite beautiful. It's It really is a, a, a paradigm example of an IPA, I think. Um, again, one of, the, one of those IPAs I would give to someone to say, this is generally what IPAs do. Yeah, this is the complexity of flavor that you can get from an IPA without reaching points where you're super challenged by every flavor that's yeah. in it, you know? Like, I don't mind being challenged. I really, really don't. But it's also nice to drink an IPA where you get this conglomeration of flavors where you can see they've worked out yeah. which things to make forward and which things to make back, and they've done exactly that. Exactly. Well, I think our ratings combined uh, is going to put this one in the top 10, man. It deserves to be. I don't, yeah. I don't know where it goes in the top 10, but I think it's a delicious beer, so it really should be. Yeah. Lovely beer. Well done. Folk and well good done. on Tap Magazine. Lucy and Fraser and Andrew. Great yeah. beer. No, you did well here. Shall we return to yeah. some movies? Why don't you get – so I, I don't know whether you told me you had no more sci-fi ones or you had one more sci-fi. I've got one, one more which isn't quite sci-fi, but is sci-fi adjacent. Would you like to give me that one? Because yes. I'm going to give you a sci-fi one. Okay, so mine is sci-fi adjacent in the sense that it involves space. It involves okay. space travel, but it okay. is, in fact, based on a real story. Huh. This is not okay. difficult let's to figure out. Well, I've got an idea, but let's hear what you say. This is a movie which I own in several formats. It's one of the few movies I own both in digital DVD and VCR formats. Analog. Analog. Um, and that is a little movie with uh, Gary Sinise and Tom Hanks and Kevin Bacon by the name Great of Apollo fun. 13. Great, great film. Yeah. Failure is not an option, gentlemen. Yeah. 
it's a wonderful movie i i cannot stop watching whenever it starts it is i mean ed harris as gene kranz he looks oh, a lot perfect, like the actual original perfect view. casting perfect casting perfect i mean casting. every man tom hanks as the every man astronaut um gary sinise which is a great role again bill baxton he, he re-emerges as another favorite yeah. Um, Kevin Bacon, and all and a whole bunch of character actors. It's just an incredible movie, and my favorite scene, without a doubt, is where they have to come up with the air filter. So they. I was going to say yeah. the, the way they've got to they've got a jury rig. This exactly, they dump system. all the stuff the astronauts would have had, do have, and they say you have Love to it. figure out to to put this square peg in this round hole. That's and that's like they literally said in the film. It's like this is round. Yeah. This is square. How do we make these things work together? I'm not. I'm not, things... I'm not ashamed to admit that I cry a lot in this movie because I find no, you shouldn't be. I find the the endeavor of space travel, the the humanity of it, the fact that we are all trying to do something bigger than ourselves, something which doesn't involve yeah. you know fucking our own selfish needs. Exactly. Basically. You know, like sectarian bullshit. Yeah. Um, and we're all pulling together to do this one thing for humanity, deeply affecting. It's like listening to the the, the that great speech by by Kennedy mm, in the early sixties, mm. where you know he was like, "We choose to go to the moon not because it is easy, but because it is hard. Yeah. Because we do that other thing. We choose that other thing. We choose not the path easily taken. Mm. And and I love that. That's that's the thing that Apollo thirteen captures so well. And everything which, which which I grew up with, which is Carl Sagan doing Cosmos, you know, yes, absolutely. this this belief in humanity being able to do better. We can we can do better than what we have done, yeah. and this and the space program is a very real um, example of that. Mm. Is that sometimes we can put shit aside and do something we've never fucking done, yeah, ever. Just for the good of ourselves. And over and above the, the deeper philosophical implications which you and I are discussing now, Matt, it's it's just a damn good adventure film. And, it's Ron Howard. Of course it's a good adventure film. And what's what, he in, does. what is interesting, though, is it's one of those movies where they had to tone down the realism because people wouldn't believe because, it. I was going to say, because it was too fucking terrifying. So you can, on, on Kindle, buy the transcripts, which has been released by NASA, uh, of the entire mission. So you can you can actually read through the entire transcript. From, from beginning to end. And I, I kid you not, it is not only – you can take sections of that and put it in the movie because it's word for word what they did. No. But there are other parts of it which would be unbelievable if you put it in a movie where these you know, guys they, – they would, They'd be like, this isn't space. This is some sci-fi bullshit. Well, that and the fact that they, they really do come across as somewhat, somewhat like Captain America action heroes. They say and do shit which is so calm – under the most dire of circumstances, that yeah. you won't believe it. So in the movie, they have to interject a few moments where the guys kind of lose a little bit of their cool. Yeah. But in the yeah. actual transcripts, they never lose their cool. They were obviously not, you know, they were obviously anxious. They were obviously panicking, but they never showed it. Yeah, because it's fucking terrifying being in space. Yeah. That's what. That's the thing. But in their communications like point- and in the in, in official communications, they never, they they were steely-eyed missile men. You know? Yeah, that that was the term, eh? Steely-eyed yeah. muscle man. I, I'd like to point out that this is yet another tick in the box for Ed Harris. Hell yeah. List. Ed Harris comes and another tick, And another tick Bill in the box Paxton. for Bill Paxton. Yeah. Just FYI. Congratulations, sir, wherever you are. So so on that note, on the note of Bill Paxton, mm. my movie 
is Edge of Tomorrow. Nice. Yeah. One of his Just last FYI, roles, I think. Eh? One of his last. One of his last roles. Mm. One of his last. And he roles. does it so well. He died far too young, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, um, for, for everybody. And um, Emily Blunt, probably. I'm going to say. It. Oh my God! Isn't she? Oh my God! She is the most compelling, sexiest, hardest oh actor ever. Oh my God! Oh my God! She is the most kick-ass mm. human on the planet. Yeah. They could they could make what a it, template out of her, and that is the sort of human I would like to see way more yeah. of. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, that's cool. Make make a movie about her, but make all the movies about her. Mm. You know, in, in the in the in, I want to see a trilogy call, of her. <laughs> yeah, they call they call her the what the angel of her doom. Her doom, yeah. So it really references the first world war, obviously. That's exactly right. But she, but obviously, she was this insane death machine because she'd lived mm. all these lives learning everything well your selection and, and of of that movie has made me very clear on my next movie selection uh but yeah edge of tomorrow great i mean i'm not a i do watch tom cruise films because i think he's very good at what he does but i'm not a tom cruise fan i do yeah. believe that edge of tomorrow is probably one of the few action films where he's shown a little bit more mm. of what he is you know yes, I mean, tom, tom cruise to me is good at sci-fi though he's he's a I would yeah, I would pass well. him as a sci-fi expert because he does sci-fi really really well. The the thing about Edge of Tomorrow and and Tom Cruise in particular is that you very see to, you very seldom see Tom Cruise uncertain. Yeah. All right. Even like you you watch uh, Mission Impossible mm. and even even when he's in the shit he, he does something. He's yeah. able to do something. Look, I mean Tom Cruise is famous for working hard. I mean even the the stories coming out of that movie was he made them oh, yeah. all wear that heavy armor so they, yeah, they run funny? He, no, he does a lot of his own stunts. He's super intense. Like, I'm, I'm, I've got no yeah. no doubt that if I'm stranded on a desert island with Tom Cruise, I would feel compelled to punch him in the dick. Yeah, um, I know. He'd probably get a bit much after a little while. Like build a raft, Marcel. No, build he, a raft. I don't think that guy ever switched off. You know, he's like always on. Yeah, like he takes himself very that, seriously. But that that's the nice thing about Edge of Tomorrow is that you you see him in guarded moments dropping yeah. that guard and you see him he's he's literally at sea mm. and you kind of go if tom cruise is at sea then mm. i totally understand no he's got depth and is. i think that's what informed his role in tropic thunder as well where he, he immediately get went and went uh, to- totally against type you know and i read a, a story where he, he said he would do the movie only if one he could dance and two, that he had fat hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like these big meaty, so, meaty, chunky so they, hands. They gave him prosthetic fat hands, you know? Yeah. So right there, then, then I realized that Tom Cruise is a bit more than you think he is. No, he is. That's the thing is he might actually be the consummate actor. Mm. Mm. Uh, you don't have to like him as a person because a lot of people don't and for good reason. No. But you can't deny the fact that he is a great, and I'm putting great mm. in inverted commas, He's very much of the Marlon Brando school, where Marlon Brando was also a complete fuck. Out of control, yeah. In, totally, totally fucked up in every possible way. Okay, man. So we've done the movie. I think it's time for our final beer of the uh, show. And we're going to do another IPA review for our leaderboard. It is from a brewery we know well. We have rated some of their beers well. incredibly highly. Yeah. And they're Cape Town-based Afro-Caribbean Brewing Company. So look, coconut is a ubiquitous flavor in some of the craft beers out there. Mostly, though, overseas, they put coconut into porters and stouts, so dark beers. And it's a little bit weird to put a coconut flavor into a light beer in terms of malt, you know, complement like yeah. an, a pale ale or IPA or something like that. 
you're really taking some risks, I think, in doing that. African Caribbean brand company we know are people who don't mind taking risks. We yeah, reviewed, taking risks because they're a jam. We reviewed some of their weird beers. We reviewed that masala beer, which reminded that was fucked up. Which reminded me of crayons. Um, <laughs> and I, we reviewed I all sorts that, of beers yeah. from them. And and in yeah. fact, currently on the IPA leaderboard, they are number seven with their Jungle Paradise uh, IPA. So mm, which is which is an astonishing IPA. By it's the way. A, an astonishing IPA. So. So this time around, they, they're going to put some coconut in the IPA, and they, they're telling us that this is supposed to be reminiscent of sitting on a palm tree in a tropical island. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard that before. So let's get some Foley, man. Oh. Hell yeah. Oh. That was some deal Foley action right there, folks. That was some stereo shit. You don't get that shit from your mama's IPA. <laughs> you don't go to your mommy's house and get stereo IPAs. Wow, that's a lot ahead. I'm not. No, I'm really not pouring very well today. I've realised. No, actually, that is a lot of head. I I poured properly, and that's a lot of head. That's a lot of head. No, that's a lot of head. Yeah, so they they got some carbonation going here. All right, Marcel. Before before the pour, what do you think of the labelling? Look, it's it's very much um, Africa Caribbean uh, standard. They've got some illustrative elements here. There's a big coconut as the central element with the beach. Look, I mean, it's fine. You know, I I, I like the African Caribbean uh, general labeling. I think they yeah. they, they tongue in cheek. Yeah. They illustrative. Um, it does what it's supposed to do. Yeah, I've, I, look, I also like it as well. I feel that the coloring and the fonts are a little bit samey, mm. so it's not really stand out. No, it doesn't know, stand it's out. Not, it's not really in your face very much. Yeah. Um. Um. Yeah, it's just a little bit. Um, it's a little bit in design. If that makes mm. sense, you know, it's. Uh, um, I think they've got far better illustrations and far better labels in this. I still love their logo. I think the logo is very, very cool. No, absolutely, logo is friendly and accessible. I very think, much so. Like yeah. you said, it's a little bit derivative the the label. Um, it's very much like I would expect a brew pub's label to be, which they are. They're really a brew pub. They they mostly uh, prefer to serve their beer fresh on tap at the brew pub. Yeah. Which is fair, which is yeah. totally fair. And so the fact that they they can some of their beers is more of a benefit to us than anyone else. Yeah, and so true. I can imagine why they wouldn't spend that much time on their labeling and stuff. But it, nonetheless, it, it sort of worked. So keep in mind that their their kind of goal here, as they said, is it's like drinking your, your favorite IPA from a freshly hollowed out coconut. Right. So we would expect a lot of coconut flavors here. Yeah. Very clear, very uh, straw to gold color. Very big head. Filtered, lots of head. Good grief. Can't mm. get rid of this head. This head is staying around for a while. Now, head retention ain't no problem. Which is amazing because but, coconut has oils. Yeah, would, you'd expect this to be diminished substantially. Yeah. And so nonetheless, they, they, they have somehow uh, passed that hurdle. What do you think, Matt? What's your aroma you're picking up here? I, I am getting coconuts. I won't lie. Yeah, very much um, coconut, tropical. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of that. Um, shoot, you know the, the those rum liqueurs that you get. Yeah, where it's like um, you know those coconut and rum. I'm getting a lot of that flavoring, that suntan I mean, lotion. I guess the next question to really ask you, Matt, is if you like pina colada and getting caught Do in I the rain. Do I like caught in the rain? <laughs> <laughs> That's those are the kind of flavors I'm getting. I must tell you, it's yeah. not, there's not a lot else. Very coconut, very tropitone, uh, 
you know, sort of, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, that's the risk of coconut, right? It, it's, it's in so many products that as soon as you pick up a coconut flavor, you're immediately reminded of sunblock lotion, hand creams. That's exactly it. Or, yeah, or yeah. buying a bottle of that coconut liqueur from yeah, the, the shop. The you know? coconut liqueur for your pina colada, right? There's maybe a little bit. I can maybe get a bit of a multi-flavoring yeah. aroma there. Look, the coconut is very predominant for me. Um, so much so that I would, if I didn't know it was an IPA, I would question whether it was an IPA. Yeah. Because it's not very bitter. Yeah, because it is, it is, yeah, exactly. There's not a hopsy element to this. I'm starting to, to realize, actually, that I'm not a fan of coconut flavors in beer. I was going to say, I don't think, I don't think, maybe coconut is the problem mm. here. Which is not, it's weird to me because I like coconut flavors in almost anything else. I mean, one of the best ice creams I've ever had was a homemade coconut ice cream. I like coconut in chocolate. I like coconut in, you know, Thai chilies. I mean, Thai, uh, sorry, I like coconut in Thai curries. So I like coconut as a flavor, pretty ubiquitous, but not in beer. It's, it's very muddling. It, it really it it brings too many of the flavors across each other, and it just it it puts that sort of sunblock stuff going on there, uh, which I find difficult to ignore. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, and there's not a lot else there, and I don't know whether there's not a lot else there because there isn't a lot else there, or mm. because the coconut is making everyone else disappear. Yeah, it's 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 very predominant. The coconut is a bit overpowering. There's not enough malt. There's not enough hops to to really uh, withstand the assault of the coconut. That's what it needed. It needed more hops to get over yeah. that that milky sweetness. Mm. You know, if they had put more tropical hops, I mean, put more Cascade, put more Amarillo, put more yeah, Centennial, yeah, 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 absolutely. You would you would have an interesting beer. A bit more of that those pineapple tropical fruits. Mm. Mm. So I've got a rating in mind, Matt. Yeah, I suppose I do as well. I'm going to unfortunately ding it quite a bit because I, I don't enjoy this flavor. I think it, it detracts from the IPA style. So I'm going to give it a 5.5. Holy moly. That's more than I thought you would. I, I, I got it. Well, look, if our, if our um, rating scale of five is drinkable, then I'm afraid that I'm not going to drink this. Mm. So I'm going to put it below that 4.75. No, I think that's pretty good. I mean, I, I would have, I would have given a similar rating. I mean, I, I'm being kind, I guess, because I like Africa Caribbean, but yeah, it's, it's, it's too much. No, no, I'm sorry. They can make some astounding beers, but this is a misstep. This is not. Yeah. This is not super pleasant. Like it's cool that they keep taking chances, mm. and I love that about them. I really, really do. And they do. They keep putting out weird fucking beers. Yeah. But but this isn't super nice. No. This is not. This is not a pleasant beer to sip mm. right now I'm, I'm, I'm maybe there is a point in time where it is i don't know maybe this will go well with a certain type of food maybe we're eating fruit or something like that so that mm. you can offset that coconut but not as it is i'm sorry not as it is yeah it's, it's not really uh ticking the boxes for me i mean i think i'm being generous with 5.5 quite honestly so I, I said that I'd had that um, the nitro beer before. Mm. So I was actually quite excited to have the Africa Caribbean coconut IPA as well. Mm. So I, I've tasted it now. This is my third can this this week. Right. And I thought that maybe when we have it during a like a proper session of like analyzing the flavors, mm. 
I will find something new. I'm I'm not. No. I'm not. It's not a it's not a good beer. I'm sorry. It's just it's not a good beer. It's, no, it's a very average. I, I think it's it's not something I want to repeat. So Matt, we've oh. done the coconut beer. We weren't the mm. fa- it wasn't a favorite of ours. Mm. Let's go to movies to uh, lighten mm. the mood. To make ourselves feel better about our lives. So we've kind of uh, we've gone through quite a few good movies here. I've got an incredibly long list. I've got an incredibly long list as well. But but we've got time for maybe two. Yeah. Let's, let, we're gonna give our we give our last two movies here. Two. So yeah. I've got a pretty good one. So why don't so give me your give me your first one. Give me your your give me your one. Okay. So my next movie, which I cannot stop watching is this is a bit of a serious movie. This is the mm-hmm. most serious movie on my list, actually, with Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe. I don't know if you can guess what that might be. Gene yeah. Hackman? Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe? Mm. So this is a real movie geek moment. And Jesus, we, won't, we, this... we won't judge whoa, 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 whoa. Is it um, uh, Mississippi Burning? Hell yeah. Matt, is you it, is that it? are an impressive individual. Holy because shit. Because that is indeed the movie. It's Mississippi Burning. I cannot that stop watching this movie. That is a phenomenal film. A phenomenal movie. I, it's one of those movies I thought I kind of cry a lot during watching because I'm shit, an emotional dude. human being. Yeah, because so. you're a big baby. But you're Mississippi baby. Burning. What a hell of a movie, dude! I, I think this was released in the late '80s or early '90s, mm, right? Mm, it's a, mm. I don't think I've watched it since the late '80s, early '90s. It's I a movie I, I tend to revisit. I I cannot stop watching it. That's incredible. It is a, in some ways a perfect movie because, I mean, it it contains many things I like. So it's like it's a murder mystery. It's a movie which references political themes, which I'm interested. Yeah, in. it's got a, it's got a civil rights theme yeah. to it as well, if I remember correctly. Absolutely, and it's based on a real story, um, which is interesting. So it's 1988, least date. And I watched it the first time in 1988, uh, not in cinema, but on subsequent TV release. And it's just an amazing movie. Francis, you know, Gudermit, um Yeah, yeah, dude, a great cast. So many um, people. Brad, Brad Dourif, um Oh God, what's his name, man? Ollie, the, the guy from Ollie Ermey from um, Full Metal Jacket. Yes. And TV so, please, please, so for those of us who haven't seen this since. 1989. <laughs> Can you just remind us what the film's about? So it's based on a real story where some some New York uh, Jewish civil rights uh, activist students and a few Southern black gentlemen uh, disappear and were found later on in a swamp in a car dead. And Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe are the FBI agents investigating this. And What's pretty cool is Gene Ackman comes from that region. He's from the South. Yeah, they've got two different approaches to the And William Defoe is a New York FBI agent. That's he, right. He That's fucking, right. he thinks he's surrounded by Podunk, you know, Hicks, who he has yeah. no respect for, where Gene Ackman is trying to sort of inculcate himself into the community. There's a love story where he falls in love sort of with the wife of one of the antagonists, which is Brad Dourif. Um it's got I don't know like it's it's a movie which burns slowly but when it hits it really is hard, um, and yeah it's just some it's it's a very emotional movie for me it, it references a lot of stuff I felt during the bad old years in South Africa, 
Um, yeah, it's, this is a movie which really affects me. It's it's a phenomenal film, and it's got like references to like that kind of civil rights era in American history yeah. that is so important and so. Well, I would argue civil rights around the world. Yeah, oh, no, sure, absolutely, absolutely, but 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 in particular America because you, you know America's civil rights movement has uh, it it has a um, a hanging thread to it that other American or oh, sorry other civil rights movements don't have. Which is this element of slavery, mm. and and that that thread that they they never overtly really go into detail on, but it's quite um, implicit in the characterizations of every character there that this is the South, this is how things were done, this is how this investigation will go. It's it's a very subtle take on that kind of nuance, and I, yeah. and that's that's why it's such a beautiful film, and surprisingly surprisingly because Gene Hackman is not the most nuanced character in the world. No. Gene Ackman is not well known for his subtlety as an actor. Look, um, you, you could make he, the argument that Gene Ackman pretty much is Gene Ackman throughout his movie career. Yeah, Gene Ackman just walks onto the fucking stage and then someone holds up some lines that he has to read and then he screams them at someone else and then he walks off stage. Mm-hmm. And that's Gene Ackman's entire movie career. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he handles it with like a really amazing gracefulness, which is... Very out of character for him. You know, he's never done it before or since. And that's what that, that movie is really based on both him and Willem Dafoe's performances. Yeah. You know, beautifully so. I mean, William Parker is the director. He's known for, amongst other things, The the Commitments, which is a great movie. Musicals, yeah. Uh, but Mississippi Burning is a special movie in my heart, for sure. No, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good choice, dude. I mean, I, I must say, I haven't watched Mississippi Burning, like I say, since... The early nineties, at least, um, but um, but I do remember it as a phenomenal film and a, and, a, and some great performances, mm. really great performances. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Good choice. On good to choice. you, man. The my last film that I'm going to choose is, and th- this is this is either how incredibly stupid my life is or how good this film is. Mm. But but I came back on New Year's Eve because I'm now an adult with three children who are lying in bed, sleeping. Instead of, like, having a party, you know, me and my wife come home and we put on some movies. Yeah. And we, we turn on the TV on New Year's Eve this year, and at 10 to 12 on New Year's Eve, this movie started showing. And what did we do? We sat and we watched the entire film. Mm. And it's the, the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Number one on IMDb's top movie list of all time. Of all time. Of all time. Of all time. Um... It is a phenomenal film with phenomenal characterization. Yeah. Um, even 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 Stephen King has wrote, written about how much better people do his do his stories as films than he does them as books. Yeah. Um, brilliant, brilliant film. Um, it's uh, yeah. It, there's I, I'm actually not sure what to say about this film because mm. if you haven't watched it, then you should probably just not ever watch any film again. Okay, the fact Ever. that it's the top movie rated by the Internet Movie Database is something you should think about. People who actually watch films. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that movie. and I mean, it is the perfect movie in some ways. It's got action, comedy, poignance, uh, human drama, tremendous sadness, no. everything. It's, a, it's, it's, an, it's, it's an emotional roller coaster. 
And it hinges so heavily on on Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman's performances mm. as people who have no hope who learn to have hope. You know, yeah. how do you re- how do you regain something that is lost? Yeah, and and they're brilliant in those things. They are so brilliant at doing what they do. Yep. No, it's it's an amazing movie. I mean, I, I love it. I can I can watch it from the last five minutes where you know Morgan Freeman arrives on a. Or, you know, Andy Dufresne is murdering his wife's. It's just an exceptional film. Exceptional. Yeah, it's an incredible film. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed that I'm not, you know, I don't have it on my list, but I, I realize that that is a, an amazing film. So, so here's a piece of trivia for you about that film. Mm. Is it was released on the same weekend as two other films. Right. Two, two other very famous films. Would you like to guess what those films were? Damn. I mean, that takes me back. I don't know. Like, like tell us, man. Middle of 1994. Middle of 1994. Damn. Two amazing films. Pulp Fiction? What? Yes, you're exactly right. And American Beauty? Same? No, that was a little bit later. Okay. But Pulp Fiction and Forrest Gump were released Hell. on the same weekend. So you're yeah, saying that 1994 was maybe like the, the breaking Jesus, point of dude. great movies. We can see... Mm-hmm. Where the, the war line was at that day. Yeah, and, and swept back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, you will not believe. Um, Speed, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Legends of the Fall, Forrest Gump. Like, you will not believe. Legends of the Fall informed much of my youth. Yeah, of course it did. Dumb and Dumber, Lion King, Junior, Clear and Present Danger. Shit. Um, River Wild, Naked Gun, Two and 33 and a Third. These were all films that released in 1994. 94, no, 95, like, man. I mean, if great, you just lived those film. two years, great. you would have seen the best. Yeah. Yeah. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which was a landmark. Hmm. Anyway, that's my choice. So, Matt, before we say goodbye to everyone, final movie, final, final one. Final movie. What are you going to okay. put forward as your most uh, comfort food movie? So, if we're talking quotability, and we have been talking, talk, well, you mm. in particular, been talking quotability quite a bit. Um, the most quotable movie of all time, in my opinion, right, is Anchorman, Anchorman. The Legend of Ron Burgundy, <laughs> which is a ludicrous, yeah. bullshit, nothing film that means the world to me. It is so funny. Yeah, it's incredible. So funny. good. It is. It is everything that. I expect from the people that made it. I mean, I would put other, the other guys in adjacent spectrum. That's that's a very close, yeah, absolutely. The other guys is very close to the arena in which these guys rock. I agree yeah. completely. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it completely. I think the cast is perfect for their roles. So, yeah, I think it's perfect casting of literally every character. Paul Rudd is hilarious. Yeah. Steve Carell as... Someone who's basically mentally disabled. I mean, he's quite obviously he's quite he's quite obviously not on the same level as anybody else. You know, yeah. um, is so funny. And this is where we see um, Paul Rudd's real power before he joins the whole Marvel universe thing. Yeah, it's true. Exactly. Yeah, before he became Ant Man. Yeah. Um, and Christina Applegate as like this um, the female newscaster joining the male-dominated society. Yeah. Um, and she really holds her own. She is so funny. Um, 
you know, she's not just a foil that everyone plays off, you know. She has a genuinely funny lines that she says. Yep. It is infinitely quotable. I mean, if you if you haven't said to somebody like, I'm in a glass box of emotion or <laughs> milk milk was a bad choice, you know, then you're what is it, Baxter? I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> then you, you you know, you then you haven't watched this film yeah. at all. hundred percent. Good choice. Thank you. What's Anchor your what's man. your last one, bud? Mine's What's a bit more one? serious, a bit more grim, uh, very much like my general life. Is it that um, well-known comedy Schindler's List? <laughs> no, it is indeed not. <laughs> but it is a war movie, and it is a movie which, I don't know, like, uh, I find it compelling in many ways. I can't stop watching it, and it is Black Walk Down. Holy moly, dude. I have not watched that film in a long time. Really? Okay. Yeah, a very long time. Again, Tom Sizemore, um, brilliant in that movie. Uh, very, you know, so many good actors who. I mean, the criticism of the movie is that you couldn't always tell apart the actors because they start being the same. But I think that is actually an intentional choice. I think. I also think so. Yeah. It's it's made to to make you think about like at war in war everyone starts becoming exactly. Insane. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, I remember that dude. It was Hugh McGregor, Eric yeah. Banner. Yeah. Um, Banner great, plays great, a very good cost. role. Yeah. So, so yeah, Black Hawk Down. I can't stop watching. It's very compelling. Uh, war. It's probably the only war movie on my list to date. And yeah, it's it's really good. Well, in so Black Hawk Down was obviously also um, what's his name, Rudy Scott. Hmm. Hmm. So you you've now named a couple of Ridley Scott films on your list. I have indeed. What would be your favourite rewatchable Ridley Scott film out of all of them? Hmm. Probably Gladiator. Mm. What a great choice! I what mean, a great other choice. Other than Black Hawk Down, I think Gladiator would be the the one. Yeah, I hear you, dude. That is such a an involving film. Hmm. Mm. I, I do. I, I don't like missing the beginning of Gladiator because it is there's like an emotional arc to it. Yeah, I mean, so and the, the like, opening scene of Gladiator is perhaps the finest rendition of ancient Roman tactics from a historian point of view, which you will ever see. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, shit. Good choice. Very very good choice. All right, Marcel. What um, what else do you have to say before we close this off? Well, I'd like to say, Matt, that it's been a good day. Um, it's been a good day. I've enjoyed it. But besides that, um, stay safe, stay COVID-free, don't get sick, chill right the fuck out, and um, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Have more beer. Have more beer. <laughs>